Welcome back to the Wheel Take Sally podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined by Andy here today. And uh, this episode, we'll be going over the um, first round. We'll be going through every series uh, that has since ended and reviewing it, um, going over reasons why a team may have lost, going over reasons why a team may have won. And um, uh, one one thing, I, one aspect I'd like to look at as well is, um, you know, I want to make a point that goaltending goaltending is huge in the first round, and it's especially huge in the playoffs as a whole. Um, so I'll be getting into that uh, and many other stats as well uh, when we go over these series. Um, but before we start, uh, just wanted to give an update. I am done with school at the moment, so I have a lot of time on my hands. Um, I am applying to jobs currently, but so far, uh, no job offers yet. So as long as I have these time, this time, I can record episodes and um as long as andy's available as well i can also record with him um if there's an event where andy you know say the second round ends and uh, andy isn't available um i may have to record all by myself or you know once he becomes available i can do it with him so it, it's just contingent on uh you know if our schedules can match um i should be uh, good for round two we're right, recording yeah. round one late because of this right. reason. Yeah, yeah. So as of right now, it's it's May 25th, and some series uh, have already ended at this point. So um, it's just a matter of being able to find time to finally sit down and record. But, you know, like Andy said, um, I don't think we'll have a problem with the second round as it's going to be wrapping up soon. Um, we just want to get the first uh, round finished because it, it is late. But it also... Um, you know, it was it was huge last uh, season um, doing the episodes where we like reviewed not game by game, but we reviewed kind of like in certain periods. Those seem to be a lot of a lot of popular episodes with you guys. So I'm hoping that this uh, series review as each round ends is just as popular uh, because we'll go through all the series and, um, you know, break them down as they go. Um, without further ado, uh, just so everybody can follow along. Um, I have the bracket in front of me, um, and the order we'll go in is we'll start in the east. We're going to end in the west. Um, I'll do the order just so everybody knows which series is next. Uh, so first, we're going to start at Florida versus Washington. Then we'll move on to Toronto and Tampa Bay, then Carolina and Boston, move into the last series in the east, which is New York and Pittsburgh. Then we'll head over to the west to review Colorado, Nashville, Minnesota, St. Louis, Calgary, Dallas, and then we end on Edmonton and L.A. Um, so without any further ado, uh, we'll start in the Florida-Washington series. Um, I don't know if you want to give your picks in, but I'll, I'll just say who I thought was going to win in this series, and then we can, you know, just delve into uh, into you know the analytics and stuff. But I actually picked Washington. It was just kind of like a, a, a not a gut feeling to me, but I picked Washington as just a throwaway, you know, eh, maybe they'll do it. Maybe they upset Florida, mm. uh, you know, uh, for, like I said, for as much not hate that Toronto gets, but for as much spotlight as Toronto gets for not winning a series since 2004, um, Florida hadn't won a series since 1996. And for any of you who don't know, um, I wasn't even born at that time. They last won a series and Andy was pretty much a baby at that time. Uh, so <laughs> it's been a while since Florida had won a series, and I feel like that didn't get a lot of spotlight. So that's the reason why I picked Washington. Um, 
they didn't eventually end up winning in this series. But uh, uh, did you have Florida winning this series and or Washington real quick? I had Florida or no, I had Washington in seven. Okay. I, I think I either picked Washington or six and seven as well. Yeah. I was, I wasn't necessarily rooting for the upset. Just like I said, you know, I, I think I flopped back and forth on that one. Yeah. When I was making my bracket. Cause that, I mean, that series I felt, especially going into the playoffs, I felt that one could go either way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Obi was having his, his, you know, his, he continues to have a career year, year in and year out, especially when it comes to goal totals. Uh, the guy brings in an enormous amount of energy to his team. A lot of that team is still together from their cup run. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a team that's more than, it's fully capable. Their seating didn't really... Uh, sway me at all they mm-hmm. they're a team that's sort of like boston that um or pittsburgh that can just hang around in the series and and maybe steal one from you right uh, so i thought that yep. was a very clear that was definitely going to be a possibility in this series mm-hmm. yeah that that's exactly how i felt um you know washington though you know since 2018 since winning the cup they necessarily haven't had success since then. Um, but you know, this, this Washington Capitals team for the most part, I'd say the core, you know, your Tom Wilson, Alexander Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, they all have the memory of, of Oshi. Yeah. yeah. Oshi. Yes. Actually, yeah. Totally forgot about Oshi, man. Um, because he's so, such, I don't blame prone. you. I was just going to say, because he's so you, injury dude. prone. Um, but yeah, uh, you know they, their core is almost still there from their last cup win. Uh, obviously, they don't have Braden Holpe anymore, but for the most part, uh, they have the same guys. And I felt like that core could still be able to at least get Washington past the first round. Not necessarily any further than that, but um, you know, with Florida's inexperience in the playoffs, and again mentioning that they haven't won a playoff series since 1996, I just mm-hmm. gave the edge to Washington just because. Um, it ended up not going that way. Uh, Florida ended up winning in six games um, with game but six, Washington obviously, being in Washington. Strong. Washington did start strong. I, um, I will say this. Washington, I think, deserves a lot of credit for how they played against Florida, especially with how um, quickly I think people were tossing away the Capitals. Um, I know a lot of people, I think, were expecting Florida to sweep or even put away the Capitals in five or four games. Uh, and it ended up going to six and it almost went to seven. I don't know if anybody remembers, but game six went to overtime. Yes. The Panthers did um, make a comeback and win that game. Um, I believe they pulled their goalie with about a minute 20 left and they tied the game and then they won it in overtime. But, you know, the Capitals were a game away or not even a game away, a goal away from bringing that series to seven games, um, which definitely would have been a surprise to, I think, a lot of people. Um, I don't think people are expecting to really put up, to have the Capitals put up that good of a fight against Florida. So I do have to give Washington credit there. Um, I know that they uh, they um, they could have easily just been swept or, you know, done in five, but, you know, they did a good job. Um, this is also, uh, I want to mention this real quick before you, you know, you step in here if you have anything in. Um, 
Florida's power play did not score a goal in this series, and they still ended up winning in six games. So there's an argument to be made that if maybe their power play was clicking in the series, they could have probably beat Washington uh, in four or five games or so. Uh, but I really wanted to quickly mention that uh, before I got to. Yeah, before you jumped in. But if you want to jump in, go right ahead. Really, the only thing I want to, I didn't watch a whole lot of this series, admittedly. Um, one thing I felt about this series, though, is I know that we mentioned that the veteran guys were there. The core from the Stanley Cup was there, and they had that potential going into this series. But the moment that the, the tides started turning for them and Florida started building up um, their takeover of the series, it's just really evident to me that um, Washington in large was absolutely willed into this playoff by number eight. Uh, again, another career year from the guy. He's gunning. He is gunning for Wayne Gretzky's record now, his goal record. Um, he has a championship. He got that out of, out of the way a few years ago. Um, he's a Russian, and he's a powerhouse player. And he continues to look as solid on his skates as he has ever looked. And he continues to wreak havoc from his office on the ice, in the ozone, on goaltenders, on teams. I mean, when, you know, when, when they go on the power play and Ovechkin steps on the ice, everybody, the arena, everybody on the ice, the bench, I mean, people who don't even watch hockey know where Ovechkin is standing on a power play. And yet the guy still, still can burn pucks past you. And that will take a team to the playoffs. It'll squeak them into the playoffs in that bottom uh, wild card role. <clears throat> but especially when you're coming in as that bottom wild card, you're going to find it hard at that point to stay on course with just one guy really leading the charge. Uh, I didn't really look at the stats for this game, for this series across like scoring wise, but. Um, they, what they they had one game where they scored six, I think, and then every other game I, I don't think was really that high scoring for them. Um, so to me, that's really where Washington fell down uh, was that they were a one man show for uh, throughout most of the the, se the regular season. Um, they were really charged on Ovechkin. Ovechkin was charged on doing what he wants to, you know, on doing what is a is a personal accolade for him um i totally respect the guy for for just being so goal focused now because he proved to us in that cup run in 2018 that he can be a two-way forward um i gained i know you did and you know i did gain so much respect for the guy after that stanley cup win um and you and i really came around on him he's a guy that i think sort of rubbed us uh probably the way that mcdavid sort of rubs you now, Nick, which is um, all offense, one man show. And once it hits the playoffs, you know, the team's success just isn't there. Uh, that 2018 season kind of shut a lot of us critics up about that. Uh, and he got, you know, he got the ring. He got that out of the way. And Gretzky's record is a major milestone to go after. It, it's, it's just it is, a, it is an accomplishment to just be able to say that you can go after his record, any of his records, but certainly either his goal or his assist record. 
and forget about his point record. Um, so that's, you know, that's really all I had to, that was my biggest thought throughout that series, especially when I was turning those games on later in the series and Florida was beginning to take over. Um, I guess I'll allude to it down the road, but uh, Florida falls short when it comes to speed on ice. Uh, and luckily for them, Washington, I think, is in that wheelhouse with them. So they're two slow teams. And Florida, as we all know, during the regular season and basically all the way up until this, the end of the second round, has been one of the most high throttle uh, offenses in the NHL. Um, and so when your speeds are matched, when your body size is matched like that, uh, you need the scoring depth. You need that scoring diversity. And Florida brought that to the table. Um, again, that's without looking at the stats here, but um, really, like, that is where the regular season was. That is who they were in the regular season. And when you, when you don't have the scoring depth in the regular season, it's difficult to manifest that in the postseason. Um, scoring depth is not something that you can just turn on and off, right? Right. Uh, so And speaking of scoring depth, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very good point. Uh, that you mentioned where, you know, you may not need it necessarily in the regular season, but come playoff times, you do. Um, looking at the core that we mentioned, um, Oshie had six goals in six games uh, and one assist for seven total points. Um, and I'm just going to quickly go through their goals here. Um, so Oshie had six, Backstrom had two, Ovechkin had one, Kuznetsov two, Carlson one. Um, and, you know, outside that, Tom Wilson is the only other guy of that core still. Uh, and he had one goal. Um, so if you really put together their core, you know, Oshie almost outscored their whole core um, alone. Cumulative, um, yeah. Yeah, cumulatively. Uh, it, it's amazing that he had that many goals uh, in that series. <laughs> and. You know, it's funny because I even forgot he was from the core when I was listing it off. But, yeah, he's he's a very <laughs> quiet, skilled player that I feel like, uh, you know, nobody really talks about. And and it makes sense. You know, he's he's an older guy. He's dealt with injuries. Um, he's not the TJ Oshie. Rem we remember him uh, being when he was in St. Louis. You know, I get why he can be mm -hmm. um, not easily forgettable, but just a guy you you don't. Uh, remember or, or mention when you when you think of the Capitals core, but you know, lo and behold, he another has six thing, goals. Yeah, and another thing, and dude, to his credit, six goals is more than I would have pegged him for. Because here's another thing that has turned Oshi sort of invisible for me, and I and this was we you know in our hockey group chat, I was watching and I took notice of it. Is that Oshi? Maybe it's part of all the injuries he's had. I don't know what it is, but the level of grit with him is plummeted. When he takes hits, it's like it's more than what you see. He, I just feel like I was watching him in those last few games take hits, and maybe you know, maybe it's the end of the series and they see sort of see the end of the tunnel here and they and they've given up. But he just looks like he's rattled. By dang near every hit that ends up coming his way. Um, and that's not something that's going to, that, that isn't going to get you through a playoff series. That's not even going to get you through a playoff game. Um, you, you turn on, I mean, even the Boston 
Carolina series and the uh, the Edmonton LA series. I mean, bodies are getting thrown everywhere, and and if you don't match that level of physicality with the other team, you're just you're just gonna get overworked in a playoff series in a seven game series. You are gonna get absolutely overworked. And Ekblad is a big guy. Huberto's a big guy. Barkov's a big guy. A lot of big guys on the Florida Panthers. Uyghur, Racco Gudis isn't. Yep, he's he's not. As much <laughs> as I can't stand that guy, he can throw the body of man. And throws a little too much. Player, can take it. Yeah, throws yeah. a little too much. But Oshi yeah. just did not look like he could take any of that physicality. Um, and so that's really that really shut him down. And there's your top scorer. So where's your scoring depth after him? You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, don't forget Mantha too. Uh, I know he's not a part of that core in, in the Capitals, but uh, you know he was brought in to be a goal scorer for them, and he has been. You know he's been a pretty serviceable uh, forward for uh, the Capitals, but in this series he had zero goals. Um, so yeah, you, you need to see more scoring depth out of them. Um, I do want to mention that you know because Florida moves on, you know I think I want to sort of maybe. Uh, look at their stats more so when we review round two, but um, just looking at strictly uh, for Hagee's stats, he played six games and had 12 points and he was balanced. He had six goals and six assists. Um, I mentioned this because um, me personally, I like a forward who can stay balanced uh, with his uh, scoring. Um, One huge major, one major criticism of Skinner's, huge season his first season with the uh, Sabres was yes he had I think 43 or 44 goals but he only had 20 assists for 63 points Um, if he was more balanced in his scoring and you know I know that he is a shooter I know he's a scorer you know I know that that's his role Um, but if he was just a little bit more balanced he'd be a point per game player Um, and Carter Verhage was exactly that and more Two points per game is insane. Um, yes, it was only for this series, obviously. Um, and like I said, we'll get into uh, Florida's scoring and their woes that they had against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But as far as just this series, you know, they had it. They had Carter Verhage, Barkov, you know, Huberdo. Those guys were producing and yeah. even Duclair. You know, I got to give Duclair a lot of credit. Um, I, I'll mention this here because it absolutely blows my mind. Um I'm going to, I want to table a lot of, you know, round two, because like I said, we'll get into it. But um, I don't know if you knew this, Ann. Um, Game four, I think Joe Thornton was put into the lineup. Uh, And if you can imagine this, Duclair was taken out of the lineup to fit Thornton. Um, That absolutely blew my mind. I have no idea why Andrew Burnett, who is the, uh, Panthers head coach currently. I would hope he's not going to be the coach next season with coaching like that. But uh, he took out. Trots. Yeah, dude. A lot of a lot of teams have stake in trots. Called Winnipeg, him up. Yeah. <laughs> Winnipeg, Florida. You know, anybody that doesn't have a coach should be giving trots an interview. But oh, yeah. you know, and what was so funny to me is I thought Duclair had a, a pretty good postseason. Um, Again, I know he's playing with the top guys. I believe he's on a line with um, Barkov and Huberto. Um, okay. I could be wrong about that, uh, but I know he was the first line. 
uh, a winger on the first line. And when he's taken out and he's being replaced for Joe Thornton, it just blew my mind because I, I thought he performed really well. Um, but yeah, it's it's just their scorers were scoring in this series. They were able to outscore um, Washington, even though that their power play wasn't clicking. Um, and Bobrovsky, I'll, I'll mention it here. Um, and then if you have anything else, you can say it in, but I'll, I'll want to move on to Tampa soon in their series. But I thought Barb, sure. uh, I thought Bobrovsky, man, I, I got to give Bobrovsky a lot of credit. I know that he's a goaltender who is making a lot of money. I know that he's a goaltender who, um, when it comes to consistency, is the most consistently inconsistent uh, right. goaltender in the playoffs. Um, it was his downfall in 2019. He had a spectacular series against um, the Lightning, but then against Boston, he, he was shaky. Yeah. yeah. So he has been criticized throughout his whole career as being a very shaky, inconsistent um, goalie in the uh, postseason. But I thought he really showed up here in uh, in the Capital Series. Uh, and I, I really, yeah. I, I know that I know that that ten million is never going to be justifiable. Um, because when you pay a goaltender that much money, I would expect a cup in return. Um, but I thought he was serviceable and, and more than just serviceable. You know, he was he was excellent for them. I agree. I agree. Aside from that blemish of the, the 6-1 game, which, okay, that game gets out of hand. What do you got to do? You got to look to the next game for him. And I, and I think I want to say that was like a 2-1 game, 2-1 win. Game four? Yeah, I'll look it up for you. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, t- that's the test. You can have those games where it gets out of hand and you let in five, six goals. That's why it's a best of seven, right? But when you're a goalie and you have one of those games, it's about the next game. Every day, every single day, it's about the next game for everybody, but especially a goalie who has a rough outing in the playoff series. Because the sooner you get back to where you were before that blunder of a game, the sooner that you're calm, the sooner that you're steady. And as every team, you know, baseball teams run through their pitchers, football teams run through their quarterbacks. I'm saying this with very little knowledge, but I think basketball teams run through their point guards. Hockey teams run through their goalies, especially in the playoffs. It's, I mean, when a goalie stick breaks, everybody's trying to hand him a stick. If an offensive player's stick breaks in the defensive zone, tough. You skate around the blue line, buddy. You're you're just a blocker now. Or go to the bench if it's close to you and grab a new one. But the goalie is is the number one concern for an NHL team in the playoffs. And so when the goalie's calming, when the goalie sets the tone for the team, that's when the rebounds happen. That's when you bounce back in a series. And that's when you don't lose control of a series. That 6-1 win put them down 2-1 in the series. Not not looking good for Florida for a team that, to your point, hasn't won a stand or hasn't won a playoff series since 1996. So I'll wrap yep, it up yep. on that. I'm sure we can just ramble and ramble there, but we'll go into the next one. Yeah, I was just going to say you are correct. <clears throat> it was game three that the Capitals won six to one in and gave them the two to one series lead. Um, so you're right about that. Yeah. Um, that moves us on. Score game four. Oh, sorry. So game four actually went to overtime and the Panthers won that one. So both teams. In, oh, sorry. Three to two. My bad. Um, OK, so but two. it's very you interesting know, because, yeah, he he was. That's um, a winnable game. And clearly they won. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I just want to quickly mention that uh, both teams here split a game at home. Uh, so the Capitals won game yep. one, then Florida won, then the Capitals won at home, and then Florida won in, in Washington. So the series is tied two to two, but both teams split a uh, a home uh, game there. So a very interesting game. when you look at it. Uh, but yeah, so this moves us on to um, Tampa and the Leafs, and I'm actually I'm very excited to review this one. Actually, it's highly um, anticipated. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. Um, I will start out with um, goaltending. Um, I know that the storyline everybody wants to hear is, oh, you know, Toronto can't get it done again, and they're out of the first round. Um, but, you know, bear in mind, this Tampa Bay easy. team, that's, that's, that's too easy. easy take. And yeah. to be honest, Tampa Bay, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Um, and like I said, it's, it's May 25th. Uh, don't want to spoil it, but they've moved on to the conference finals. So... This is a team that could, again, possibly go back to back to back, which would be insane, but they're in that position right now. So losing to a possible, um, you know, cup winner, you can't hang your head too low for that. Not to, again, make any excuses for Toronto, but just thought I'd say that now. Seven Um, game series. No, it's respectable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, It's probably their most respectable first round exit. I, yes, I don't. I don't think many people would disagree with that. And it's a huge, um, it's a huge step up from last year. You know, yeah. last year they were up three to one and things were looking good. Toronto's got this. They're gonna finally win. This. Nope, Montreal <laughs> mounts the comeback, and that had to be the most embarrassing first round exit for them. Easily, Look, I understand that 2013 happened. You were up four to one in Boston, and then they mounted a comeback. But that was the first of. But that's within two that was, minutes. It, it yes. happens like that, and you're shell shocked. Yes. Yep. A yep. series blown like that, though, is far to the Montreal right. Canadiens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now Montreal <laughs> would end up going into the Stanley Cup, but they would not. But have, they would not win. Talk about a fluke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, no. So I wanted to bring up goaltending because um, I have the stats here of goaltending and the the playoff stats for goalies and from May 2nd, which is when the first round started to May 15th, which is when it ended. Um, and lo and behold, you're looking at some big names, um, you know, Igor Shesterkin's up there. So is Mike Smith. So is Bennington. But when we move down and down the list, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Vasilevsky's got to be in the top 10, right? Nope. Okay. Maybe he's in the top 15. Nope. Where does he find himself? He finds himself out of the top 20 in save percentages. In fact, not only is he outside the top 20, but his counterpart in Jack Campbell, who's the Leafs starter, they both netted the same save percentage, which is just crazy to me. Both posted an 897 save percentage. Now, I mentioned it earlier in my intro to the podcast, uh, and I want to mention it here. Um, specifically in the playoffs, uh, you goaltending, I think, is the biggest uh make or break for a team. Uh, Either if you don't have spectacular goaltending, you are not going to go far in the playoffs. Um, In the regular season, if your goalie posts a 920, even a 915, you know, a 913 at the very lowest, you, you know, you might not find yourself winning the division, but you'll find yourself at least in a divisional spot, not a wild card spot. Um, But in the playoffs, 
913 to 920, that ain't going to do it. You need to post a, a 935 uh, and above. You know, 950 and above, you're looking at somebody who's going to, who is making you, basically, if you post a 950 plus, you're making your offense score in order for you, or you're making the offense not score in order for you to lose that game. You know what I mean? Um, if you're that good in net, the only reason why yep. you would lose is because your offense couldn't pot a goal. But Guys again, in front of you can't put one in. Yep. Um, I I want to say that uh, you know when you mentioned that this is probably their least embarrassing exit, um, I, I would have to totally agree with that. And the fact that they made Andre Vasilevsky look human in this series, posting an eight ninety seven. Oh yeah, he looked. That, that's not Andre Vasilevsky. You know, if he looked if, absolutely rattled at times in that series. And I and I haven't I mean, we haven't seen that for at least three years, at least we haven't, three years. We haven't seen that since they got swept. Right. By Columbus. Uh, oh, yeah, and you're right. Yeah, which so was exactly three years, three years ago. ago. Yep. You are exactly right. Um, I also want to just quickly go over um, the scores in each game. So you guys get an idea of you know, how well I thought Toronto played this series. Look, I know they ended up losing, but when you hear the scores, you're going to be very surprised at how many they were able to put against uh, Vasilevsky. Um, so here we go. Game one in Toronto, they won five, nothing. They beat them five, nothing. They not only blew them out, but they shut them out at home. That's huge. Next game, you know, Tampa Bay comes back. They, they win five, three. Okay. Um, next game in Tampa game three, Toronto wins five to two in Tampa. Again, this was a blowout um, game four, though. You know, Tampa comes back and says, you blow us out at home. We're going to blow you out at home. So they win uh, game four, seven to three. Um, then it goes to game five. Toronto wins four, three. And then game six, Tampa Bay wins in overtime, four to three against Toronto. Now, keep in mind, game six, I want to make a quick point here, but I'll finish game seven score real quick. Um, but just to recap, game six, uh, Tampa Bay ends up winning in overtime four to three. And then finally, game seven, Tampa wins two to one in Toronto. Um, and of course, it's the game where Toronto just can't net three goals. You know, every other game, though, they were right, the one three and above. Um, but quickly going back to game six, I just wanted to mention it here. Um, in all three of their last playoff um, elimination games, specifically in game six, they were heading into game six with a three, two series lead. Um, yeah. Minus. So you got to close 20, it out. Right. So minus 2020, which was the COVID season, the pre or the play in games against Columbus, they did not hold a two to one series lead against Columbus. In fact, they never led in that series. Fun fact. Um, but in 2019 against Boston in 2021 against Montreal and here in 2022, they had a three to two series lead heading into uh, game six. And in all those previous seasons, game six, since they weren't the home ice advantage team, they game six was always in Toronto. This was the first time that it had not been in Toronto. And lo and behold, they, they couldn't get it done on the road, which I don't blame them for. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough to win on the road, um, especially in a series clinching game, because, you know, that home team is going to twice too because they already did it once. Correct. So, you know, when they lost game six, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't think it's over, you know, to ask for a home for as to a road win on 
you know, against Tampa. In an elimination Tampa. game for a home, for the home team, especially in Tampa. I see what you're saying. Right. Right. So the criticism in those previous seasons where they lost is, you know, you had home ice advantage. <clears throat> Sorry, game six was on home ice. So you should have closed it out then. They didn't hear, but, you know, uh, I just thought that that was also a, a something I should mention because it's it seems to be a real. I think that's a great point. That's a great point, dude. Yeah. Um, you you got to start closing your series out when you, especially when you have that lead, especially when you have that buffer. That's that's going to be the key to Toronto. For I mean, for here's the thing: for Washington, it was getting past Pittsburgh. For Carolina, hopefully, it's getting past Boston and maybe also Tampa. Maybe that'll do it. But I, you're right. I mean, for Toronto, it's going to be if you guys are ever up again in a three-two situation, end it. Get it out of the way, and and then you don't even have to worry about it. Um, I think, yeah, I think uh, was this the what was the um, goalie comparisons for save percentage again? Oh yeah, so they both posted an eight ninety seven. Okay, so I mean it's an equal, you know, it's a wash. The goalies are a wash, and Toronto. I mean, I guess you know with the whole cap circumvention nonsense with Tampa you know they've got the money as well but you know we always look at it we talk about this everybody talks about this is the Nylander Matthews Marner uh, and Tavares contracts you know they have to put their money where their mouth is and those guys have to start stepping up in these six you know these game six uh onto the next round type victories because again like that's where all their cap is. It's like half their cap is in four guys. And when that happens, you put in, instead of putting your, like, you know, that $10 million contract on Bobrovsky and expecting him to post shutouts, you're putting it in four offensive players and they need to produce end of story. They need to outproduce the other team, especially when you have a guy like Jake Campbell, who's holding it down as best as he can against the Toronto, a very high throttle uh, Tampa Bay offense um additionally you know tampa is resilient another resilient team you know I, I spoke about it in the um rangers podcast episode that i did a while back they're a resilient team but hell tampa is tampa knows what resilience is they have two stanley cups back to back um and they are a team that also put their money where their mouth is let's not forget that the tweet that they sent out after that sweep in 2019 um, there, you know, they, that, they have turned it around absolutely like 180 degrees since that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toronto needs to do the same. If you're going to win a Stanley cup, you need to be able to t- beat teams like this, because even though if you get a nice little baby cake entry into the playoffs or into the finals, you're still going to meet a powerhouse on the other team. And you're going to have to overcome that. So what's the difference of overcoming it in the first round? And again, that first round seems like a mountain for them. So it looks like that is going to be the straw that will break their back. I mean, if they ever get past the first round here and a good first round contender, which they do often get, that might give them the boost that that might send them deep into a playoff run. But until then, they're stuck. They are stuck in an absolute rut. Yeah. Um, so funny you mentioned the big four because I'm looking at their um, 
their uh, stats for the playoffs. And lo and behold, their big four it, were their four top scorers. Um, Good. Austin Matthews, seven games, nine points. Mitch Marner, seven games, eight points. William Nylander, seven games, seven points. Uh, and John Tavares, seven games, six points. Also keep in mind, Tavares technically scored a goal, but was called back for an interference. Um, so had that not been called back, he would have also had six points. Which is points. 50-50. Right. <laughs> the coin right. flip, I'm um, convinced. Also, <clears throat> I want to mention it at some point. Um, we don't have to get into it now. We could probably be, uh, table it until the end of this. Um, it's sure. probably best if we do. But I just need to say officiating in, so far has been, I'm not going to say abysmal. I'm not going to really have an opinion on it. But uh, I will just give you this stat that I heard. Um, they're la- you can, I know your opinion on officiating, so if you want to, you can. But I'm going to remain indifferent on it. I will say, though, um, I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but I was listening to a podcast um, where they had a referee, uh, a retired NHL referee on, and he was saying when you look at the last three postseasons, he compared the regular season to the playoffs for total uh, penalty minutes. Wow. And what is shocking is each year the regular season is – either plateauing or going down while the playoffs consistently increase in playoff minutes. Um, that doesn't surprise me, which, which, but it, what I'm trying to say here is, you know, when you talk to an NHL fan and I know you and me know this and, um, but you know, if, if you're new to the NHL um, and you want to understand how, you know, officiating works in the regular the season playoffs, uh, when typically when the playoffs come around, the referees, the officials, they all take a, or at least they're supposed to take a sort of laissez-faire approach. They put the whistles in their pocket. They let the players play. Um, they're let not the players rest themselves. Right. You know, um, they're not going to call something unless it's egregious. They're not going to call black a and white, black right. and white, dude. Too many men delay a games. Um, high stickings. That's all I want to see on the score sheet when I pull it up. If it's right. roughings, it better be offsetting because right. everybody <laughs> out there is roughing each other. Everybody is. You're going to get hooked. You're going to get slashed on the hands. But you know what? It's the playoffs, and you have to fight for every single inch. And that's how it's been up until, up until honestly, 2019, 2020. Yep. And it's been absolute trash. It, 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 it influences the game, regardless of who it's going for. Just the total number of penalties directly influences the game, and and it will influence the series in the playoffs. And these few, last few first rounds, especially. I mean, this second round is a bit better, um, especially the first two games uh, from the Hurricanes side of things. I did. I think they called. One penalty for both sides in our first game within the first two minutes, and I think that was it until offsetting roughings late in the third. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly how it needs to be because the play. And here's what happens when things start getting out of hand, when guys start, you know, and all the dangers start happening. Those dangerous boardings, you know, throw some misconducts out there, throw some five-minute majors out there, and that's how you send a message. That's where you draw the line, but. The ticky-tack hookings, the ticky-tack slashes, the roughings, 
the non-offsetting roughings. I mean, that stuff is going to add up. Look at, I mean, look at the Hurricanes. Their struggle is on the power play. I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they need to get over with. I totally get it. But look at their penalty kill. Their penalty kill is amazing. But when you have to kill six, seven, eight penalties in one game, I mean, that's like having your defense in football play the last quarter and a half entirely and saying, you better win this one. You guys were ahead when, when you guys started the plays in the third. But your yeah. defense has been on the field the entire time. Right. So, you know, that's uh, – I could go on and on about this. You, you yeah, know I was how say, we can I, We can definitely table this till the end. I think it needs to be mentioned. Um, the only reason why I brought it up here is because I can't find that chart. Um, while you were talking and I tried to find it, but there was a chart I okay. saw on Instagram somewhere that showed um, every team – in the uh, first round and their penalty uh, total penalty minutes. And I want to say Toronto was in the top three of that chart. Um, again, for I total or for like total. Leaves. Actually, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm pretty sure Toronto and Tampa were two of the highest um, penalized <laughs> teams in the first round. Um, and I wanted to, I, I brought up refereeing because I wanted to mention it here. This series, I would watch it, and I thoroughly enjoyed the series. I thought this was a, a great showing by both teams. Like I said, I already gave a lot of credit to uh, to Toronto um, for putting up yeah. this great of a fight against Tampa. Um, like I said, Vasilevsky's save percentage, man, uh, that's that is not like him, uh, and they seem to have a number on it. But what did he do? He brought it together in Game Seven. He did. He won he did. that he game for them. He won that series for them. He bailed. They bailed him out in the first six games when they right. put together three wins for him, and he bailed them out in Game Seven because Toronto was was full throttle Game Seven. And if Vasilevsky wasn't where he was in Game Seven, Tampa, Toronto easily could have walked walked out of that Game Seven with a with a nice little two three goal cushion probably going into the third period. I would yeah. say, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I just want to mention the refereeing there because this was the series that I think it didn't have the biggest influence on, but, um, I have a friend, it was a presence. A couple, yeah, it was a presence. And I had a friend who's kind of new to hockey, you know, she's trying to understand how the game works. And, you know, one thing I always tell everybody, no matter how well, you know, hockey is in the playoffs, the reason why officials and referees typically or at least are encouraged or should put the whistles away is because momentum one word momentum when you have a team that you know just scored two quick goals um you know they they seem to have all the momentum a coach doesn't call a timeout and then all of a sudden you know a penalty's called on the team that's up to nothing they go to the box and then they score a power play um they score a power play, something they make it two to one. Then another penalty is called, and then another penalty. It took away the momentum that team had that was up two to nothing. Um, you know, there's yep. arguments to be made that a team that was up two to nothing, Slow if there the wasn't game. a penalty called there to make it two to one, they could probably take over that game. And again, it's not to say that the team that's up two to nothing is going to win. Um, you know, lo and behold, last night, I know this is a bad example because it's not a team that comes back 
in wins. But at the end of the first period, Edmonton was up three to nothing against Calgary and Calgary ended up tying that game. Um, and again, there weren't a lot of penalties called like there were this series. I, I swear to God, I could not bear watching this series at times because every two minutes it would be, you'd hear the whistle blow, you'd see a hand up and you're like, what now? <clears throat> you know, it was, I don't think that these teams are, especially Toronto, Toronto is not known as a gritty team. And yes, Tampa no. is to a certain extent, you know, I would say um, their fourth line of Corey Perry, um, Pat Maroon, and I forget their other guy in that line. It might be Hagel, Brandon Hagel. You know, they're, they're a line that's thrown on the ice to simply hit the other team. That's what Pat to Maroon mix it up. Exactly. So they are a gritty team. Toronto, not so much. And it was just amazing to me that, you know, you couldn't go almost, it felt like, without two without a four minute period right. where nothing was called. And it's frustrating because regardless of who you are, you can't establish momentum. Or if you did have momentum, it just immediately got taken away because vaporized. Yeah. Yep. Because a penalty was just called. Now again, whether and that team scores on the power play or not, doesn't matter. It takes away from the team who was blown it up five on five. Or, you know, if they were to score on the power play, it just, it takes away from their momentum. And one last point, dude, this one will be quick. And I only say this one because I know Carolina had at least two to kill. And I'm pretty confident they had three to kill in the Boston series. You know what else it does? It creates far too many five on threes, far too many five on threes. I I don't ever want to see a five on three in the playoffs ever. And I'll just leave it at that. Right. I, I mean, yeah. I can see one, but two, three in a series should not happen. Should not. Here's the here's the only justified five on three I've seen this whole playoffs here. This whole the whole playoffs. Was it the Aho double minor high stick? Um, no, because a double minor necessarily isn't a uh, five on three. It's um. Well, no, we had a we were become, down. We were on the PK, and then he oh. high stick. I was it was game four. It was the one Greg and I were at. And oh, high stick Bergeron, oh, and that okay. turned it into a five on three for like a minute and a half plus an extra two and a half minutes of penalty after that. Or maybe that was this it was, series. It wasn't my example. Um, my example is from the second round, though. It's it's from game okay. four of the Blues and Colorado series. And just to quickly give people context, both penalties that the Blues took by both uh, Buchnevich and um, David Perron, both were against Kadri. And if anybody is living under a rock or doesn't understand the context, the previous game, game three, there was a loose puck right in front of Bennington. Kadri is going to play, make a play on it. And I forget the defenseman for um, the Blues. I don't know if it was Mikula or Falk, but a Blues defender and Kadri are racing to the puck. Um, they're showing no signs of slowing down. You know, obviously Kadri wants a goal. And their Blues defender is trying to stop him from scoring a goal. Uh, they end up colliding, and it, he runs into Bennington, and Bennington gets injured. So that's the context heading into Game 4. This obviously happened in St. Louis, so the crowd is riled up. They want to see uh, you know, the Blues go after Kadri, or at least send a message like, hey, man, that wasn't you know, cool. My personal take on it real quick, I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't think there was intent there, but... To quickly sum it up, 
you know, I think Kadri is trying to make a play on the puck. Bujnevich lays a good hit on him. It's a solid hit. It was a clean hit. Um, Kadri and him start skating towards the benches. Um, and Bujnevich, uh, no, sorry. They're going for a change. And Peron is cutting in front of Kadri to change. He sort of runs into Kadri. Kadri sort of responds. Bujnevich cross-checks him. So that was the first penalty. It was a two-minute penalty for cross-checking, which I agreed with. It was a cross-check. If you look back at it. Um, then Kadri falls on the ice. He's trying to regain his um, his balance. So he's trying to get back up. He's on his knees and he's about to get up when all of a sudden David Perron just comes out of nowhere and just cross-checks him while diving on top of him. Uh, and keep in mind, Kadri sort of was trying to use the bench to help him up. So his back was turned towards Perron and both players ended up going to the penalty box to create a five on five. That was the only scenario where I agreed there was a legitimate five on five to be had. Both players cross-checked Kadri. Um, I think, uh, not Kadri, I think Perron ended up getting a roughing actually, not a cross-check, but I mean, he gave the referees a plethora of penalties you could have called on him. Um, but that's the yeah, only time he, I would have seen a five-on-five five yeah. be justified. Uh, but you mean an, uh, or five-on-three? Yeah, five-on-three. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <No> <laughs> yeah. But at least uh, we didn't watch it, listen to this one back, and <laughs> hear, the, hear the mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll wrap up this one. Um, again, I, I wanted to give. The Leafs a lot of credit. I I understand they didn't move on, but they had a hell of a series. Mitch Marner, by the way, ended his uh, I think it was 12 game um, scoring drought in the playoffs. He went 12 games without scoring a goal, and people wanted his heads. Nice. People wanted his head after that Montreal series where he went seven games without scoring a goal against Montreal. He gets two in this series, which isn't huge, but it's it's you know steps towards it's a starting point. It's improvement. Exactly. It's it's a step towards um, the Leafs, I think, being able to to get over that mountain, like you said, that the first round seems to be for them and uh, and is. Um, we'll, we'll see what the Leafs can do next season. I'll be curious to see how well they do. Um, but until then, you know, Tampa moves on and Toronto goes home. Uh, now we'll shift into uh, Carolina and Boston and. You know, before we delve into this series, I think you got to mention the fact that uh, every uh, home team in this series won their games at home. Uh, so it yeah. goes seven games, um, and Carolina wins all four in Carolina, and Boston wins all three in Boston. Um, obviously, that's handling four. Yes, handily yes. all all four all seven games were. I mean, Pasta had that goal with 20 seconds left in game seven there was yes. a little glimmer of hope there but that's right. honestly dude every single one of these games was just a no doubter for the team in black yeah. um it's tough i mean you don't want to see that from carolina uh it's continuing in the, into the second round for anyone who's been watching or hasn't been watching that series is now tied at two going back to new york um, all home game wins there. Uh, I'm concerned, especially with Tampa on the other end of this. You you can't. Here's the problem. 
you can, you know, Carolina can get away with, yes, Carolina can get away with only winning at home, especially against Boston, especially against Tampa, because we're going to have home ice advantage. But, or not, I mean, especially against Boston, especially against the Rangers, excuse me. But when we get to Tampa, Tampa is a team that does not care if they're home, doesn't care if they're away. Just ask Florida because they got swept. And so I'm concerned because even if they get past the Rangers, something has got to change. They're two totally different teams all of a sudden. They're an away team who plays this dainty, let's force some scene passes. Another problem I have is D'Angelo heading all the power plays. That guy is one of the biggest liabilities on the road when he heads a power play. He does this nonsense stuff where he starts full speed up the ice with the puck from his own end, looking like he's going to take it in, and then he just does these idiotic, no-look, backward passes. And it compl- I mean, you talk about momentum. That's literal momentum that you're talking about. Not figurative momentum like the atmosphere of the arena. That is literal momentum. Everybody is getting ready to enter the zone. And you last minute chuck it back two lines into your own defensive end. I mean, it almost came around and bit him in the ass at least a few different times in Boston. I was telling Greg every single time he did it, I'm looking over to Greg and I'm like, liability, liability. You know, they look great at home and it's awesome and I love it, but they need to make these away games at least close. They need to hang around in some of these. They need to send some of them to overtime. I'm tired of them. I'm tired of them just rolling over away because it's not going to work against Tampa. It would have worked against Florida, probably. It would have worked against Toronto or Washington. But guess who you got? You have the back-to-back defending champions on the on the next line, or next up on the line. And they're not going to care. In fact, they're probably going to take some from you in, in Carolina, which is going to force you to have to win some in, in Tampa. So right. that's yeah. that's what this series comes down to. I, I, that's and, That was clean and short, and I think I'm going to stick to that because – the scoring is there. There are guys with slumps, but their depth is there. Their diversity in scoring is there. Right now, it's tough. It looks like a lot of the defense is scoring, and that's good that they're doing that. But Natchez is slumping. I want him to get going. Aho is rickety. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping for it to turn. And every time D'Angelo gets booed, he's the, he's the kind of guy that I think can thrive off that, but he never does. He never does because he's away and the rest of the, and he just acts, they all just act. There's no shoot first mentality. That's how it is in, in Carolina. In Carolina, it's shoot first and it creates okay. chaos. Yeah. So, you know what I want to, it's a good point you want to mention. Ahead. I've been um, ranting. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally fine, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know what it is this postseason, but I watch, this isn't, Andy, that shot mentality thing is not just a Carolina thing. Every single series I've watched, I swear to I God, it, we're at a point now where you could be on a breakaway, uh, no matter who it is. Give me the Oilers, give me Carolina, give me 10. I don't give a shit who it is. And they're on a breakaway and they decide to pass the puck. I don't know what it is, Ann, but I'm watching the Oilers game last night. I've, I watched it's the ridiculous. Carolina game last night and both those games these teams had unbelievable, especially like you said, Carolina and um, even the Oilers, but more so Calgary. Um, 
I don't know what it is, but you'll have these really nice scoring chances where it's just like, hey, man, if you shoot the puck, it's not going to go in, but it's a rebound. It's a it's a scramble. It's numbers. a loose puck. And what do they do? They pass the puck off they to a guy who's covered. Pass. They pass yeah. the guy to a guy who's covered. They pass it to somebody who isn't ready. They're they're and the toe you know, drag. To, to, yeah. To yeah. bring it back to to Carolina, and you didn't mention this guy, but he needs to be mentioned. Um, you mentioned Aho's slumping, Natchez is slumping, Svechnikov. Uh, he's at a point, yeah. and I didn't mention this yesterday in chat. I was giving you the benefit of the doubt because I didn't want to mention it to you when when obviously the game was going the way it was going. But dude, Svechnikov is looking invisible, and he is looking. Yeah. He is not looking like himself. Yeah, yesterday, and I, I counted. I counted how many times he did blind passes. And if you don't know what a blind pass is, it's sort of like what Andy mentioned about Tony D'Angelo, where he's skating up the ice and he drops it back. But that's not necessarily a a blind pass. You're trying to sell it. Well, it's it's not as you're trying to sell a move. So you're looking at the goalie, but you pass to the right. You basically are just your hands are doing what your eyes are not conveying. Is, yes. is basically the best way to explain that. And um, uh, and to even further your point, uh, with Tony D'Angelo, he knows somebody's behind him. So right. uh, yeah, yes, when he knows he's when he knows that you know somebody's behind him, it's not necessarily a blind pass because, like I said, he knows they're there. But a blind pass to me is you're on the boards and or you're behind the net. You got your back turned to the play. And you, okay. So a perfect example of this is anybody ever see those goals where a player will go behind the net and they act like they're doing a a wraparound, but right when they get to the, about the middle point of the back of the net, they pass it back to a forward who's wide open. And the goalie is thinking that the player is doing a wraparound. So he's on the left side looking back and you know, the pucks in the net before he can even look to his right. That's, That's a blind pass. Svechnikov yesterday did four blind passes. He almost did five and it led to four turnovers and it's blind. And it's, it's not even a blind pass. Svechnikov is either seeing things or he's actually blind because every single time he passed the puck, there was not a Carolina forward within 10 feet of the area he was shooting at. I, I kept watching him and I'm, I'm getting so frustrated because it's it's stupid hockey, you know. When you're in a situation like that, and when you're trying to, when you get it's as much irresponsible, zone time, it's irresponsible. Yes, and when you have zone time, you know, when you're in the offensive zone, it's not always about getting shots on net. You can get forty shots on net in a game, and you can still lose. It's not, you know, offensive zone time is not necessarily, oh, we, we got to get shots. Let's try and get shots. Offensive zone time is just keep the puck in their offensive zone, tire out their four or tired keep out the their players, yep. keep the pressure on, cycle that puck, move that puck mm-hmm. around. Because guess what? When you possess the puck in your offensive zone and you're killing time, those forwards can't move as fast as your guys are. And if you're making changes while this is happening, you're getting new fresh forwards and those new right. fresh forwards are going to be able to find an opening because, like I said, those players are tired. They're not going to be able to cover as much ground. So cycle the puck while you're there. And when he does when he does plays like that, man, it's just hold on to the puck at the very least. You know, 
holding on to the puck isn't going to give that puck up to the Rangers. It's not going to give, um, you know, yes, it's not a shot on goal, but you're not going to be just turning the puck over. You know, there were times where I felt like if he held the puck, they would have been on the brink of tiring out the Rangers. But instead, he just he wanted to throw that puck to to nobody right. and have nobody score a goal. You know, but hate to break it to you, Svechnikov. Nobody is never going to score a goal. Right. I totally agree. But back to, and back to the series, man, I do want to mention this before I forget, because especially yeah. because he's an American boy and I know it'll get you going. Jeremy Swayman is the man. Uh, Boston has an awesome superstar in Jeremy Swayman. Kid posted a 9-11, never forget, uh, save percentage against Carolina in the five games that he played. Uh, He's looking like the face of goaltending from there, and that's awesome. But also back to this series, dude, uh, we have been heavy on, or at least I have been heavy on this, and I think you would agree, is they have got to get off. They have got to get off this Marshawn Bergeron thing. I, I know that those guys have all that chemistry and I know that Cassidy runs ideas through them and usually beckons to them. But you know what, dude, you're, you've been on the decline. Boston has been on the decline since the Stanley cup loss in 2019. I don't think they'll ever get close to that again with the core that they have. So they need to start trying some new things. They need to start thinking out of the box. And I don't know why they didn't try to like move Hala up to to the center with Pasta and with with Marshawn. I didn't like the fact that they were bringing they kept dropping Pasta for DeBrusque. I didn't like that. I thought I was. I mean, that's been their go-to. I I was just gonna say DeBrusque to replace Pasta is foolish. Yeah, like I'm when I say this, I'm not for this stance but i'm just throwing it out there to maybe make some bruins fans think um i know that uh, so i'll throw it out now and just explain it a little bit later but do you think it's time for bruce cassidy to maybe not get fired um but lose his job so i guess it would be firing (laughs) um i you know find a new head coach because whenever they struggle it's, oh, let me take pasta off. Let me put DeBrusque here. Um, you know, yeah. but when they're clicking, he keeps them together. When they're not clicking, I feel like he doesn't shuffle the lines enough. I feel like he doesn't do enough to he sticks get away from that. the old ways. Yes. And it, it this is like, you know, you said it's they've redundant. been on their decline. You know, you're not coaching anymore. You're just doing the yeah. same old, same old. Exactly. There you definition go. You're just of insanity about to touch is doing it. No, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I hate to break it to you, Bruce Cassidy, but putting DeBrusque. But you're insane. <laughs> yeah, putting De, putting DeBrusque on with Martian and, and Bergeron is just not going to do it. It's just not. Um, no. It's, you know, it's it's frustrating. Number 74. Want, yeah, sorry. Yeah, why? I'm sorry. Sorry to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry to, Sorry, disrespect to John. Sorry to disrespect Jake Brusque, DeBrusque like that. I meant to say number 74 on Boston. Uh, but uh, I know that. To his credit, man, the guy has come around since he put his money where his mouth is yes. with that trade request. I will yep. admit, Brusque is starting to step up. He's definitely forming into something. Maybe not quite a first round draft pick three times over. Um, 
but I will admit that that he isn't, you know, he's not just number 74 anymore. I mean, that's a funny joke that I like to say. I think it's hilarious, but I will admit, um, and I think that's probably why I called him DeBrusque uh, in, on this cast, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, that's true. I forgot we even had that joke because, like I said, or like you said, um, you know, he's definitely improved his game. I do want to end on this note. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Um, Greg mentioned it in the group chat, and uh, I just want to say it here. He thinks that Sweeney and Neely need to go. Both uh, the GM and I think Cam Neely is their um, assistant GM or, or head uh, of operations or something. I was just going to say he's either that or their head of operations. I'll look that up now. I'll look it up. But oh. he, would, <laughs> he would like for them to uh, part ways with Boston or at least Boston part ways with them because, um, you know, the, the GM Don Sweeney, if you look back at uh, 2015, 15. we always mentioned it on the cast, but he, you know, he, he ends up drafting DeBrusque, um, Zaboral, and I forget the other guy. I don't even know who it is. Exactly. When he exactly. could have, when you have three picks in a row like that, man, you, you got to make sure that they have to be a hitter. Yeah. One of them has one to be a hit. And he missed Kyle Connor, he missed Matthew Barzell, and he missed Thomas Shabbat. You want to talk about and guys Sebastian that can, Aho. And Sebastian Ajo, when you want to talk about guys that can replace the quote-unquote perfection line, um, Shabbat, who I core, know is a defenseman. that old core. Yeah. Rather, Shabbat, I know, yeah. is a defenseman. But, man, could you imagine McAvoy and Shabbat? That'd be – I'm not yeah. saying put them on the same line, but I'm just saying, yeah. can you imagine having both those defensemen – you know, yeah, the defensive depth as yep. as well as having Kyle Connor and um, Matthew Barzell um, in, in this. I'm going to say this, but I, I do not think it's because of my American bias. But uh, Kyle Connor, I feel like, is one of the most underrated players in the NHL. Um, he's had he's, 40 goal seasons with the Jets. I had him wow. on my fantasy hockey roster when we did that. And the dude was incredible. Um, he, he was the only reason why I even performed well enough in that, <laughs> in that playoff or in that fantasy uh, pool, but he's very underrated. He's, he's, he is a scorer and that's exactly what Boston needed. Um, and then as far as Cam Neely goes, Greg mentioned that Cam Neely would like to, you know, keep the Boston Bruins, the big, bad, you know, bears that they right. are that the type of bad Bruins. Is, yeah. That type it's of out the door. has been outdated for so long now. And, you know, it doesn't if, work anymore. If you're not getting the memo now that that um, isn't working, look at Connor McDavid. That is the that is the face of the NHL right now. That's where Austin the game goes. Yep. Exactly. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. Um, you know, that's the face of the NHL right now. Guys who can just score at will. Guys who can just burst up the ice. Even even um, put. Nathan McKinnon. I know he's a lot older than uh, Matthew. Kale Marker. Yep. Yeah, Kale McCarr. Yep. Uh, those McCarr guys are fast. Thing. They can they can make rushes. You know, they're they. That's the NHL right now. Is it's speed. The speed. Talent. Yeah, exactly. Speed um, with the heaviness, but but the speed is the priority, and this yeah. and the heaviness comes second. Um, I can't find uh, who he is. Uh, as far as Cam Neely's role with yeah, the boss. Yeah, it just says hockey, uh, exact. Yeah. We'll digress, um, though. You, you, we can look you get our later. Point there. 
they're guys that are executives. They're a part of the front office in Boston, and they're doing the same thing over and over again. And I figure um, it's not working. Before you make a big change in the front office like that, like, you know, making a new GM or replacing a new executive, do you think about firing the head coach? And what was so funny, and is when I looked at uh, that online, I saw an article that said Cam Neely um, didn't specify if Bruce Cassidy would come back as the Bruins head coach. So we literally just wow. talked that into existence. Did we not? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I want to mention it here. Like I said, I'm not mentioning it as far as me supporting that or not supporting it. I wanted to rather throw that towards the Boston Bruins fans and see how they felt about that. And because uh, I, I would you like call. to hear from them. They know their team more than I do. So I want to throw out, hey, maybe do you look at firing um, Bruce Cassidy or at least, you know, if his contract's up with you guys, not re-sign him. Um, there's a lot of teams that don't have head coaches right now, and I feel like Bruce Cassidy would be a good replacement for some Very teams. Viable. Uh, Very viable. I look at Florida. You know, if Florida doesn't um, re-sign yeah. Andrew Burnett, I think he'd be a good fit there. He has the talent. They have more depth than Boston does. Even um, Winnipeg, dude. If they can't get yes. a hold of Charles. Yep. Plenty. There's. You're right. There's plenty of opportunity. If you let, if you, you don't have to feel bad, basically, if you let Cassidy go, if you part ways with him. Yeah. And he's the type of guy who I think could understand that. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap up that series there because uh, we can go at length with all these series. But oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, the next one we'll go into is the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, so. Obviously, the big story out of this one was New York Rangers were able to mount a three to one series comeback win. Um, this was a hell of a series. I think it was one of the most underrated series, I think, in the first round. Um, I will say that. Well, you know why? Everybody shut it off after game yeah, four. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the point I made yesterday, um, I'll break the news here. I actually was going to do a solo episode of reviewing these series. And I got all the way to New York and Pittsburgh, and I figured, yeah, you know what? I think it'd be nice if Andy came on. So um, because he was able to be free today and we were able to do the podcast, I'm like, screw it. I'll just wait for him tomorrow. Um, but in the review that I was doing for New York and Pittsburgh, um, I mentioned that when they were up three to one in the series, I knew it wasn't over uh, because Louis Domingue was still in that. And I understand that uh, – you know, Louis Domingue was working miracles for them. They were getting wins against Igor Shesterkin. Not, and I mean, but not miracles are not game. sustainable. Right, miracles are not uh, sustainable. And Igor Shesterkin was chased out of the net twice in this series. In fact, I'm looking at his save percentage right now, and he he is 23rd out of 29 goaltenders. Yeah, 892 save percentage. They made him look human. You know, I talked about Vasilevsky looking human against Toronto. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins made him look uh, even more human than Vasilevsky, uh, and they were still able to bounce back, and it's it's huge. This this New York team, like you said in that episode, Ann, they are a resilient team. They did not give up. Um, I would just like to say, Gerard Gallant, I love him as a head coach. I absolutely love Gerard he's, Gallant. He's given um, Carolina some jabs in the press conferences yes. nowadays, yes. but it's – it's not even. It's well deserved. Foster. No, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's not. Pesh. He's not out of his element. He's not out of control. They're they're all fair remarks, fair comments. Yep. And any fan should be able to appreciate that the guy is really intelligent. I mean, 
Just look what he did with Vegas. Let's not forget yeah. that. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned Vegas here because I was going to segue into wow. You know, look at what happened. They fired Peter DeBoer, and now they need a new head coach. Should have just resigned Gerard Gallant. Talk about the de- definition of insanity again. You know. Yeah. Um, and you know, people have their people uh, this year especially. People have really. Um, I wouldn't say turn their backs towards Vegas, but man, they, they are definitely uh, throwing shade at Vegas. And this is just, this is just another part of that big, big iceberg that you can just throw right back at Vegas and go, you mismanaged flurry, you mismanaged your team. And here's an example where, you know, the, the guy that you fired that you didn't return, he's coming back and he's possibly going to win, you know, a Stanley cup or at least have a good chance. Uh, to do yeah. so. Um, so, you know, like I said, Igor Shesterkin uh, and Louis Domingue, you know, the, the Louis Domingue couldn't be as incredible as he was throughout this whole series. Um, he comes in game one in the, after the double overtime, I think. No, no, it, I don't think it went to triple overtime, right? Game one did go to triple overtime. Okay. Yeah. So yes, he does come in after that double overtime then. Um, he came in pretty late. I want to say there may have been like seven minutes left in the uh, double overtime. He comes in, he replaces uh, Casey DeSmith. Um, and again, from that point on, the Pittsburgh Penguins took over that series up until, you know, uh, game five. Game five. Um, but uh, I think maybe things would have been different had uh, DeSmith stayed in that. I really thought that Pittsburgh had a chance to, uh, to win that series. Um, I don't know if you guys mentioned, but the last episode we did when we talked about the Oilers, because it was so late in the season, uh, we started talking about cup favorites and I actually had Pittsburgh as a cup favorite. Um, I really liked the way that they were playing. Um, They were kind of an under the radar team um, and teams like Florida, Tampa, Carolina, and uh, Colorado. I just wasn't sold on, but I was sold on Pittsburgh. Now, of course, at the time they were healthy come playoff time, especially in this series, they started to get injured um, Crosby, I think in game five takes, I don't know if it was an elbow to the head, but, or a hit to the head, but he gets concussed and he comes back in game seven, but you know, it's just not enough. So there were many factors, specifically injuries that, uh, I think, um, resulted in the Rangers coming back down three to one, but by no means is that taking away from what the Rangers did, uh, to win three in a row, especially two, at Pittsburgh, I think, uh, were the last two. Ga- no, I don't think they were. I think uh, no, the Rangers they only had to win one in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but you know, still to win three no three in a row is very difficult, and then to also oh, win yeah. on the road is very difficult. So, you know, you really got to condemn um, the Rangers and their effort here because it was spectacular. Um, and although I was rooting for Pittsburgh, I was like, you know what? I actually really love watching the Rangers. So honestly. Um, no matter who won this series, I was going to cheer for them, you know, after they moved on. So, uh, yeah. you know, good on the Rangers. I, I love Igor Shesterkin. Um, Me too, dude. He's I, a hell of a I, he, He's everything I want in Carolina. I mean, the kid goes down 3-1 in the series. Shout out to Gerard Gallant for continuing to play that guy. Not really leaning on Georgiev too much. Akai, like I said, I go back to this every single time, but that kid is so calming. I mean, 
You you could blow him out. You could have blown him out in a 3-0 series lead, and he would have just continued to play every single game like it was game one. And that's how you win those series that you get down in. This is the first team in NHL history that has come back from a 3-1 deficit in a series and also came back in all three games that were remaining in that series. They were down by two goals in game five, six, and they were down by one in game seven. And, you know, I always shout out Alex. He's my he's my uh, Rangers guy. But I was encouraging him the entire time. I told him, I was like, don't worry about it, dude. I was like, Rangers have got this. They're right where they, they're playing exactly the way they want to. And, and, uh, and to the benefit, you know, Crosby was out for game five and six but again this is a team effort and every every single team says this especially when they have success after a guy goes down what is the mentality next guy up we're not you know the penguins are not tied to crosby as much as they would like to be the oilers are not tied to mcdavid because those guys are not guaranteed they could get hurt they could get uh you know lost and miss the miss a game they could get lost uh, on a road trip or something and miss a game. They could oversleep and miss a game, like, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's no guarantee. And so in the playoffs, it's the next guy up mentality, and Pittsburgh couldn't do it. And to your point, it's probably the lack, you know, the inexperience of, of uh, Domingue, despite how well he played in, in the start of that, the front half of that series. Um, the, the Rangers just, just took it to him. Um, and I was pretty, yeah. I was pretty confident after I'm trying to find what I said to Alex, but I told him I, I called I mean, I was calling things on, uh, um, on the Rangers. I, I told him after game five, I said, what's the line on game six? Cause this is going to game seven. I can guarantee it. And sure enough, they come through and they do it. He referenced as the hockey expert, Andrew McCann said on the night of May 12th. 2022 he sees a game seven and he was right um, yeah i really like the point that you made about gerard galant sticking with igor um that's confidence so, sorry that's to cut confidence you there. in your goalie no, but go at, at but at that point you know he had been pulled twice um they were both you know they weren't a mercy rule or a, a mercy pull in the sense that so the difference between a mercy pull uh pull and just say a pull where your goalie gives up five goals and, you know, three of them are uh, fluky goals. So that's why you took him out or, you know, you took him out because he faced six shots and he let three of them in, you know, whatever the case may be. Those aren't mercy pulls. Those are simply goalie wasn't having it tonight. He had an off night. That's fine. You know, when you, when you play every single Next game, guy up. exactly. When, when you play every single game, um, like some of these guys have or not play start every single game, you know, it's hard. It's very grueling. You only get a day off in between games. Um, you might even get an extra day uh, or uh, for traveling uh, if they're far, you know, if they're a distance away. But other than that, you know, they're, you know, Pittsburgh to New York is not a very far distance. So they really only had about a game, a, a day of uh, a traveling. So, um, it, it, I, uh, so, by the way, so that's like a, a normal pull. A mercy pull is the team in front of you is just not playing well. Um, uh, you know, your defense is lacking. Uh, they may have left your goalie out to dry. So to just sort of wash away that and forget about it, they'll pull the goalie to sort of not to send the message that you had a bad night and that's why I took you out, but rather your team in front of you is not supporting you. 
and I'm going to get you out of that net before, you know, six goals are let in on you. Um, because it's it's yeah. just not fair to you that the, the team is, it's is like playing restart. like this. It's almost like a restart. A hard yes, exactly. restart. And it's a wash. Uh, you know, a team, a coach in that mindset has already watched this game. It's kind of like when you walk up to the blackjack table, right? You walk up with $100. The way you're supposed to look at that is this $100 is a wash. Whatever I walk away with, you know, I'm walking up to this table technically with $0 in my hand. And whatever I end up making on the table is what I make. That's sort of what a mercy pull is. You know, this game is yeah. essentially over. Um, I'm washing you as a goalie. The other guy can get some licks in, let him feel that vulcanized rubber, um, get him. It's almost, you know, warm him up kind of, and let him yeah. take, you know, let him shield your guy. And you know what? It might send a message to your players and they might turn the game around for you. So it's kind of like a, a no lose situation there. You've already considered that you lost the game. This might do something to uh, kick your players back up and maybe they come back. That would be the, the best case scenario. Um, yeah, and I will also say this about the New York Rangers. Um, I have been not necessarily on the podcast, but when I talk to a lot of my friends who are Rangers fans, I have criticism for Capocacco and I have criticism for uh, Lafreniere. I'll get and, on that. And, I'll and get right, behind that. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. These are two former first overall picks. I think they've lacked um, thus far in their careers, but I will say – the Rangers' best line, um, and the stats may not prove it, the stats may not support it, but I think their best line is Cheadle, it's Lafreniere, and it's Capo Caco. Um, they are doing damage. Uh, they did damage to Pittsburgh, and they're continuing that damage to Carolina, and especially, mm -hmm. and I think, um, oh man, what game was it? I, I think it was game three uh, in this series between the, the, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, they just, they really surprised me and they're stepping it up, which yeah. is, which is, you know, these are young guys. I think that the oldest guy on that Good line sign. is, is Cheadle or Heedle, sorry. And if I'm not mistaken, he's only like 22. Yeah. He's the oldest guy on that line. And he's 22 years old. Uh, the rest are, yeah. I think, That's uh, Capo Caco is 21 and Lafreniere is 20. Um, Real good sign. You know, those guys are really stepping up for you guys. And, you know, they're a huge reason why uh, you guys are finding success. Because why? Because they're the secondary scoring. You know, everybody's looking towards Panera and everybody's looking towards Sabinajad and Kreider. Yeah, and they those have guys shown are covered. Up. Exactly. I was just going to say, those guys are doing exactly that. But you also need your secondary scoring. And where are you getting it from? Those three guys I just mentioned. They are doing yeah. an incredible job. For the Rangers Lafreniere offense, especially. I was just going to say, of, get of the Lafreniere. three of them, Lafreniere is the biggest. Um, wow, I really need to maybe rethink Five my is. position or at least give yeah. him some credit. You know, I'd like to see a little, I will say, I'd like to see a little bit more production, production in the regular season for me to, you know, 180 on that stance. But he's definitely got me at least halfway there. Yeah, this is I, when it matters. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll give them a lot of Down credit the there. Worst. I was just going to say now out to the West, <laughs> um, this is probably going to be our quickest series. I, I don't even think we really needed to get, to get into it that much. Nashville, but Colorado and Nashville. Nashville doesn't belong. They didn't belong in the playoffs. No. It should have been Vegas. Even, to tell you the truth, it should have been Vegas. Nashville had no business in the playoffs. UC Soros, I love the guy. Great goalie. But <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he was what can he was also say? injured. He was injured. He, was so injured. he did not okay. play in the series. Um, it was Connor Ingram, and I gotta give Ingram a lot of credit. Um, looking at his stats, I think he posted a 912 save percentage. I'm just gonna quickly look that up. No, sorry, 913. He posted a 913 yeah. um, and a 3.64 goals against average against that's, a that's tough Avalanche team. I mean, yeah, that three point three and a half goals four games. But if You're you watch the games, honestly, if you watch the games, in that easily could have been a 6.4. Honestly, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I watched that series, and Ingram did whatever he could to stop the puck from going into the net. I know he had nights where, you know, he was blown out, but he, he really surprised me. I mean, a 9.13 against no. a team that uh, – a 9.13 save percentage in four games. Honestly, not bad, especially against a – powerhouse like uh uh colorado is you know yeah, you can't talk about scoring that. and the fact that Holy he was thrown, he was thrown in there you know he uc saros was injured and he, i don't even think he got that many games in the regular season so he was thrown in a role that he was just not used to and you gotta give him a credit yeah and i and i the only thing i want to say about that series is I, I didn't i didn't really appreciate i don't know if you saw any of it but i didn't really appreciate all the all the stuff going around about LA being an AHL team, I, I thought oh, that yeah. should have gone for Nashville ten times over than it should have on on LA. I thought that was pretty unfair. No, you, you know what? That that's a good point, and we'll uh, we'll pin that to when we get to to LA and Edmonton because yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I I'm I did not understand that sort of comparison, so you know I I will agree with that. Um, yeah, it, Nashville just looked lost. Um, John Hines, who I don't think is a very good head coach, uh, I think it's extended <laughs> by Nashville. Um, I don't know what they saw in that series for them to extend him. They didn't have that great of a regular season either. Um, no, they kind of like you said. You know, Vegas, Vegas had struggled. That, Vegas yeah. fell zero off for the ivory tower. Zero Vegas for seventeen handed handed Charlie Bucket. The golden ticket is essentially what happened there. <laughs> the golden knights handed the golden I, ticket off. I like that. To Nashville. You like that one? I'm like, no, I was like, at first, I'm like, who the hell is Charlie Bucket? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> when you said golden that ticket. Charlie like, Bucket. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, that was solid. That may have been your best uh, uh, reference. You, I like that. You. Yeah. But anyway, continue on. I had to give credit there. Okay. Uh, let's see the next series. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm, my bad. I thought you still had something to say. Um, no, no, that was okay. No, nah, I just uh, I let that one speak for itself. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we have to give the audience, you know, they're probably laughing their asses off, you know. So we'll, we'll give I hope them so. time. Yeah, time, we'll so. give them a nice <laughs> yeah, little intermission. Little intermission. <laughs> there you um, go. There you go. Yeah, that, that's right. really it for Colorado. We don't need to mention anything else, I don't think. I don't um, think so. Minnesota St. Louis. So this this was definitely shocking to me. Um, a little I really down. thought a little let downy for me. I agree. Um Minnesota I thought really had what it uh took to beat St. Louis. Um same. I will give St. Louis a lot of credit. Um I was I definitely undermined them. I did not think that they have what it uh took to beat Minnesota, but they did. Um 
Minnesota. Gosh, Minnesota. I knew that they lost once they put in uh, uh, Talbot to replace Flurry. Now, I, I know that Flurry didn't have a great series. He posted a 906 with a 3.04 um, save percentage. But, you know, Cam Talbot just isn't going to get it done. In fact, Cam Talbot was worse. He posted an 846 with a 415. You know, yeah. to the point you made about Gerard Gallant, I would have liked to see. Um, uh, what's his some name? Confidence in Flurry. Yeah. Yeah. Some confidence in Flurry. I forget the head coach of the uh, Minnesota. Uh, wild. I think it's. Uh, I got it. I'm you got it. I, I uh, want to say it's uh, Evanson. Dean Evanson. Yeah. Dean. Yes, I knew it. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember, but um, I really wanted to see him stick with Flurry because, uh, like I said, Flurry's had multiple. Um, you know, we've always mentioned this when we talked about him, but he's had multiple uh, cup wins. He knows what it takes to win. Yes, he was struggling, but um, he knows what it takes to bounce back from a loss yes. too. That's the biggest thing. That's exactly it. Um, this only went six games, which, which was surprising. In game six, the Blues ended up I winning agree. on against Minnesota. Um, yeah, Minnesota's scoring depth, I think, is the reason why they lost this series. Um, Erickson Eck, uh, Jordan Greenway, um, and other guys like Spurgeon, uh, they, they just weren't there. You know, you, you saw the the fine that Spurgeon got for cross-checking. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> the back of his shin. Yeah, like his ankles when they were on the ground. You saw that. Yeah. You know, these were signs that, you know, Minnesota. Frustration. Just, yes. You know, they thought as though they were the better team, and when that wasn't showing, they were getting frustrated. And that's, and that's your first mistake in the playoffs. Yes. For any that's team. Exactly for it. any team. Not just when Minnesota. Yep, that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, it, it's surprising. And like you said, definitely disappointing because um, I didn't really think that the Blues are were too much of a threat to them. Um, you know, that Blues team, not to say that they've lost a lot of their core from 2019, but they've just been meh since 2019. It's a new phase. Yeah. It, it's a new phase. You know, Falk, Bennington is in the Bennington. continues, continues to remind me. I'm glad he's not a hurricane anymore. You know, gosh, folk is, he is something. Else. And he, he came, and he came machine. into the scene the year after the championship. And what have they done since, you know? Yeah. Uh, Tory Krug was injured. So, you know, a note there. There's another so I, and, and with him being that. in, what's that? You forgot I totally forgot about that. No, I forgot yeah. that he was injured. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so with him being injured and, you know, with with who Bennington uh, is now, you know, he's not the Bennington that we once knew. Um, I was like, you know, I, I think the Blues have a chance. Or Sorry, I think the Wild have a chance here to, to beat the Blues. And if they can beat the Blues, you know, Colorado is going to be a very tough task. But, you know, I think they are they're. They're, it would have um, been a good series. It would have been, been a good and one. And it's it's a it's a rivalry. You know, many people don't know this, but the Avs sure. and Wild do have uh, history. Um, granted, it's nothing like Montreal and Boston. It's nothing like Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh. But there's a rivalry there. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, yeah, it, it's just unfortunate. Uh, I watched these games, and um, 
I forgot who you said started off. Oh, it was the Capitals, I think. You said the Capitals started off hot, and then after that, they just kind of fizzled out. And that's exactly what the Wild did. That, yeah. That's exactly what the Wild did. You know, earlier in the series, I'm like, yep, this is playing out exactly how I expected. And then yes, towards yeah. the later half, I'm like, ah, damn. That I is, think uh, to your point, the, 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 the matchup got into their heads. I think, and, yeah. and I'll circle back quick, I, I think that's been the problem with Carolina against Boston in the past, and I didn't sense that this season, or this series. And look okay. what happened for them. You know, right. they, they did right. hang, they did do what they need to do, which is win at home. And and I didn't feel that message from them this year, but I do agree. I, I think that Minnesota embodied that pretty heavily this season. And, and that was probably, I mean, that combined with the lack of confidence in Marc-Andre Fleury, I think ultimately was their downfall. They they got a little too far ahead of themselves. They got a nice, I mean, it's not even a nice lead. A 2-1 two, a two, lead is not a cushion and mm-hmm. and this no. def- i mean any any type of lead is not anything to be taken for granted we all know that but certainly not a 2-1 um so i agree with you there i do think that they sort of let the matchup get into their heads uh, for, yeah. for a good chunk of that series yeah um when you mentioned carolina it reminded me of something i forgot to mention uh as far as how carolina has been playing so I'm going to quickly just go back to the point I was going to sure. try and make. But um, last night, Dad and I were talking, and we were very frustrated about how Carolina played. And, you know, I told Dad, I said, they're undefeated on home ice, and they are defeated away. And I said, when I'm you have home ice enough. advantage, um, I was like, Dad, when you have home ice advantage and all four games are at, you know, are in Carolina, you are forcing yourself to go seven games in a series exactly you know and that's wearing on players you know it would not surprise me if you guys get uh, eliminated and then it comes out that oh um slavin had a fractured ankle oh um auntie ranta had a uh, i don't know punctured lung or whatever yeah bullies don't necessarily get injured yeah that's kind of a bad maybe he uh, so rather than a broken or punctured lung you know a strained groin or whatever Whatever Something like is. that, you know. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you guys got eliminated and you know, injuries started to come out. Um, I agree. And, and I you think go if the, they want, I think to tack on to that, if they want to be, if they want to have a shot at at seeing the finals, they have to close this out in, in Madison Square Garden. You and I were messaging about that recently, and I think to your credit, they not only need to. To, to shift the momentum that hard and clear this up in two more games, it's also just a matter of rest, right? Because mm-hmm. they're looking like the series is going to go seven games again, and I don't think any of the other series look that way. Some of them mm-hmm. are already over. Two, you know, two of them are over on paper. It's just one more game, one more game for two teams that are absolutely rolling right now. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that for you, dude. Yeah. Um, and then point. to, yeah. And it's, it's one, I forgot to mention when we were talking about Carolina. Cause I really, I was going to make that point. And then I brought up Svechnikov because I, that was frustrating me also fair <laughs> severely last night. But as I look at the uh, wild blues games, um, every single game that they played was a blowout. Uh, game one, four, nothing goes That's to the blues. True. 
Game two, 6-2 goes to the uh, Wild. 5-1 goes to the Wild. 5-2 to the uh, Blues. 5-2 to the Blues and 5-1 to the Blues. So this was a series where none of these games were close. Um, you know, either one team was on one night or it, they were off the next night. Um, and then specifically, you know, I mentioned that the Wild started off hot and they did. Um, when you give up a game at home, you need to make sure that you at least uh, win a game on the road to even it out. And that's exactly what they did. They won game three after losing game four, and that's when they took a two-to-one series lead. Now, you mentioned that a two-to-one series lead necessarily isn't huge, but I will say this. Um, it's pivotal you know, of, in the way that you're pivotal. describing it, though. Exactly. Um, one thing that I don't think people really understand, you know, everybody's like, oh, game seven is do or die. Well, yeah, no duds, do or die. It's the last game of the series. But people don't understand <laughs> that game. People don't understand that game four is, to me, the most pivotal game in the series, especially when the series is two to one. Obviously, obviously, if it's three to nothing, you know, yes, it's pivotal for the team that's down three to nothing. But not only do they need to win out, but they need to do a reverse sweep. So, you know, game four for a team that's down three nothing, you could say pivotal. But it's especially pivotal for a team that is uh, up two to two to one in the series or a team yeah. that's down one to two in a series, because there is a huge difference from three to one and a two to two series lead. And there's a huge difference. There is. And there's an argument to be made. Game five was in. Um, it was at the wild. If they won game four, that would have made the series three to one in the wild favor going home with a three to one series lead. I know um, Pittsburgh, when they were up three to one and they went back home for game five, they did not win it, but it puts you in an easy position. I don't know if easy is the right word, but it puts you in a position of at least less stress. Um, if you're able to mm-hmm. be at home in a series clinching game, you have the crowd behind your back, you're going to have the momentum, you know, your players aren't going to be calming. Yeah, that it's calming calm, mentality you know? again. Exactly. Um, you have the crowd behind your back. Um, so I you think know that, the locker room. You know the guys walking into the arena. You feel at home. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, this game four was in St. Louis, so it would be a big ask for the Wild to have won both road games. But you know, had they done that, again, that's it's a huge, it's a pivotal, pivotal game in a series, um, especially when the series is two to one. Um, you look at it last night uh, for Carolina and the Rangers. Had Carolina won their first game on the road, uh, what a huge first road win it would have been to be up three to one in the series. I agree. Back to Carolina, I was really hoping where you're for that. undefeated. So that that's what I'll. I was say really wrap open up. for that. That's what I'll say to uh, wrap up the Blues Wild series. Um, I don't know if you have any other comments, and uh, you know, I think we hit I, it all. Yeah, I think we hit it all. Like I said, goaltending, you know, wasn't the greatest here. Um, like I said, uh, let me find Jordan Pennington. Jordan Pennington, actually, in this, he posted a 943 save percentage. Um, uh, yeah, I think but, I made a comment about it. I'll just, I'll hit it again. I thought okay. Bennington was the star for, I mean, clearly he was the star for ball, uh, for the Blues. And yeah. unfortunately, perhaps he's also the down, you know, his injury is the downfall of the Blues now. It's. Yeah, it's too bad, but I, I, again, I think Minnesota should have made it through, and I yeah. think 
I think this series with Colorado would not be as much of a blowout as it is right now if that did happen. I think that matchup would have been much more even than than this one is. It's uh, it's kind of like a, a step, you know, another an easy step sort of for Colorado. They could still yeah. come back, but yeah, man, it's still I, there. I just don't see it. It's still there. Um, next, uh, again, this is I think going to be another series um, that we could sort of wrap up quickly because. You know, the storyline's there. You can hit it. Uh, this is Calgary versus um, Dallas. Dallas. And yeah. my my goodness, the Dallas Jars frustrate me in the sense that, you know, they just cannot seem to score goals when they need to. <laughs> uh, I, I And it's, you know, it's as much as I'd like to laugh. It just happens so often. You know, you go back to 2020 when they were playing against uh, Tampa Bay. Um, In the finals. You know, they looked really good against uh, Vegas. They looked really good against, um, who else did they play in the bubble? I think, oh, they ended up playing Calgary. Yes. So um, this was like a revenge series for uh, Calgary because they ended up losing to um, the Stars in I want to say six games in the bubble. So, and they blew it because in game six, they had a lead with, uh, I don't know how much time was left, but I know the stars scored a late goal. They forced it into overtime and then they won and then they eliminated the uh, flames. Um, so this was kind of like a, a redemption for uh, the, the, uh, the flames and they ended up redeeming themselves, but, Boy, did Jake Ottinger not make that easy for the for the Flames? No, yeah. You know this this Flames team had some. They had a a hell of a, a, a squad in scoring. They had Johnny Goudreau who had a career year. They had a uh, Matthew Kachuk who again had a career year. Um, and who else is it? Elias Lindholm. You know these guys are these guys had great He's years. He's looking good. Yeah, I really do. You know, I was. I was very impressed with Calgary. Um, you know, a lot of people like to mention how Calgary, they, they, uh, you know, they, they always seem to struggle in the first round. Um, you flash back to 2019 when they were the number one seed in the West and they ended up losing in five games against a wild card, uh, Fellas Colorado Trevor. avalanche team. Um, so, you know, Calgary, not that they're developing the storyline that they're, uh, 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 What's your what's the term you like to use? A paper tiger? Is that what you call people? Uh, uh, paper tiger, glass yeah. cannon. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, they really proved that they uh, they could bounce back. And <sighs> poor Jake Ottinger. I don't know if you watched um, Game Seven. I did. But yeah, I did. I watched a good chunk of the series. I want to say I watched the whole game. And uh, so, if you remember in 2020. When um, the Lightning and Columbus went to that five uh, overtime period game where yeah. Corpusalo set the record for most saves in a game, in a playoff and game, lost, right? and still lost, that was kind of what I felt about Ottinger, where it's just like, your goalie is doing literally everything he can. He's doing everything right. He's making all the saves, and right. all you need to do is just put a goal into the net, just put the puck in the net and you can, you don't know, you don't understand how much that would help your goaltender after the night he had. And ah, 
They didn't do that. It ends up going to overtime and Johnny Goudreau finds a, just a opening, a very, very slim opening on Ottinger and he, he nets it in. And I felt so bad for Ottinger because, you know, people are going to look at that and go, Oh, you know, what a great time to give up a fluky goal, but it's just like, you can't ask anything. Like, like, this is not a, yeah. you know, it's like, you <laughs> yeah, can't, it's you like can. a stone wall. Yeah. It's like, honestly, that'd be the only time where, you know, if a goal like that went in, I'd be like, you know what? I can't even be mad. If anybody, you should be mad at, yeah. you know, who you should be mad at my gosh. Nobody's talking about this. I feel Tyler Sagan. Yeah. Tyler Sagan. Oh Invisible. my gosh. Send Another that guy, guy to the moon, man. Send that guy to the moon. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't care if you're a Stars fan. I don't care who you are as, you know, who you support. You got to just look at Tyler Sagan and go, man, like, your career could have been a lot better than what it is now. And I, I, I don't know what it is with him, but it's just, I feel like his head is never in the game. Um, he's always just coasting out there. You know, it is what it is. You know, well, we lost that. Whatever. Time to go. You know, it's almost like he's just floating through space, I guess, mm-hmm. through playoff space. I, I didn't see any contention from him. Um, you know, I'm just just not shocked. You know, I'm just not shocked. I got you. It's 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 been Tyler Sagan ever since he's been a, a star, I feel, you know, a Dallas star, that is. Um, and. I know that Boston, when they ended up trading Tyler Sagan, uh, there was some criticism because, you know, Bruins fans were like, oh, Tyler Sagan's this really good player, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. Boy, has that guy fizzled out, man. And, and like you said, he's in invisible. the Oshi category, you know. I, honestly, though, I'm going to say he's worse than Oshi. Yeah. Oh, no, that's fair because Oshi yeah. had six goals. You know? he yeah, went, I was he just did say in that category. That's a very fair point. Oh, it's, oh my gosh, to me, it's, it's frustrating. Cause like I said, you know, it's nothing new with the Dallas stars. Um, they're, they're just a team that's known for not scoring. Uh, it, it's amazing. They get these goaltenders that, yeah, honest to God, I, head. they can stand on their head, but not only can they stand on their head, they can, they could post a 1000 save percentage and somehow some way <laughs> they, they'll, they'd lose the game. You know, it's like uh, post a shutout. The, it's just like, sorry, it's pitching no hitter and still yes. like a few weeks ago. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel about uh, the Dallas Stars. I mean, honest to God, that's a deadly team. If uh, um, if their team had offense, I mean, can you imagine Ottinger, Panthers? Can you imagine Ottinger on uh, Carolina? Carolina, can you imagine Ottinger on uh, on the Wild? You know, my goodness, it there probably would have changed the outcome of every one of those series we just mentioned. Even though you know, Toronto series, um, they're sort of struggling right now. But yeah, it's just uh, it, it's frustrating to see that because when it's you hard. see a goaltender post, he posted a 9.54, and <clears> what did we say earlier? What did we say earlier? Say percentage above 9.50. You cannot lose, you know, when your goaltender posts the save percentage it's that high. Away. I'm not going to say that's league average in the playoffs. Um, league average, I would say in the playoffs, it's got to be at least 940. But 954, you lose. That is not on your goaltending. And nobody's blaming Jake Ottinger. But son of a bitch, you just got to feel for the kid. 
And that handshake line, I don't know if you ended up watching that. I stayed specifically to see how everybody, um, you know, paid their respects to Ottinger. And he, you know, the camera was basically on him the whole time. And people would stop and talk to him for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Markstrom, I forgot what he worded. Um, Oh, man, there was a video I saw where somebody read the lips of Markstrom and uh, Markstrom like gave him all the praise and said, yeah, I forgot what Dude, he said. Dude, you played me. Like, yeah. Something like, <laughs> the team just couldn't win it for you. <laughs> no, something like, holy shit, kid. Like you have a, you really? have a, it was, I think he cursed. I don't know if he said um, fuck or I shit, think. but he said, holy shit. Or something along the lines of like, holy shit, kid, you got a career ahead of you. Like just be patient. Good. Yeah. Um, he may have even said you, you you got a cup in the future with you know plays like that. I God, I really wish I could find that. Um, but yeah, you could even you could even see it in the handshake line. Um, even if you just look at facial expressions, as soon as Markstrom and Ottinger shake hands, Markstrom's face just lights up. His eyes are wide, and he's tapping him on the um, on the shoulders, and he's just you yeah. know he was he was and with him for a good time. Um, yeah, so respect. you know. You just got to feel bad for the guy. But, uh, you know, no, nothing else new there. Like I said, um, the Flames showed up. Um, Calgary finally closed one out. Calgary finally closed one out. And you know what, what they Jacob needed to Markstrom, do? Jacob Markstrom posted a 943. Um, so both goaltenders in this, you know, the fact that this went seven games, I think, does show. Um, you know, I know we're harping on the stars here, but for goaltenders to post a 943 and a 954, gosh, you know, to go seven games is that's incredible, um, but it's both, a goaltender's both, duel. I was it's just like going to say duel, it's it's mostly a, a goaltender's duel than it is one team was on, one team was off. Um, exactly, and unfortunately, those types of series are gonna likely come down to a fluky goal. Unfortunately, yeah. but yeah, it's just a it's just the style of the beast, and you take it in stride. And Jake Ottinger is young; he's twenty three, very young for a goalie. And I tell you what. He's going to have eyes on him if he, if he doesn't, if, you know, if, if Dallas doesn't rise up, he's got eyes on him. There are definitely GMs out there oh. that have eyes on him because a 954 save percentage is worth that $10 million contract when Bobrovsky's <laughs> cleared up, you know. Right. And he's 23 years old. Exactly. He's 23 years old. Um, yeah, no, absolutely agree right there. Um, I don't know when Ottinger's up. Let me just quickly look up Cap Friendly. Um, and then we'll wrap up this series. Uh, but if, if his contract is up and he's not restricted free agent, if, if, I, if I'm the Leafs, I'm calling him up. God, am I, if I'm the Leafs, I'm calling Anybody him up. who has cap space, I would call him up. Toronto doesn't have cap space. <laughs> well, they're going to make cap space this offseason. You can guarantee it. It's something I didn't mention, but okay, uh, look for them to move. Uh, Morazic's we'll contract for the off season. Then. Let's pin that yeah. for the off season. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, let me see. So Jake Ottinger is under contract until. So ooh. he uh, he is done after this season. But like I said, I think he's on an entry level contract. So, yeah, his age sort of told me it would be right around now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So he would be an RFA. 
So yeah, he would not even be able to talk to other teams. And if a team wanted okay. to talk to him, um, they would have to offer sheet him. And <laughs> An offer sheet to a goalie that would be yeah yeah spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I worth it. I'll tell you, it's worth it. If, I agree. You know who was who was that RFA either last off season or this off season before that where he was offer sheeted and. I was going to say, I think it was him. But before that, I thought it was somebody with the Leafs and Hurricanes. Maybe it was Aho. It was Aho from Montreal. And then, like, three, two or three years later, it was, uh, we did it back with Kokaniemi because Montreal had no cap space to sign him at that price. And then our PR team tweeted the exact same tweet about Kokaniemi. It was it was complete plagiarism from Montreal. It's like that was pretty funny. That was um, good. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I I can't. Yeah, I think that's who it was. Um, somebody was. Be. It had to be Aho because I I was gonna say somebody offer sheeted them and then they matched it. So if you're gonna offer sheet them, you better uh-huh. hope that uh, the other team is not gonna match it. Agreed. But uh, with that being said, we will go into our last series of the Final first one. round. Um, and it's Edmonton and LA and you mentioned it earlier Ann. uh, but before you mention it or before we bring it back up again, I will say LA probably deserves the most credit, um, of any team For that got all the losing in the first teams. round. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, I, I picked the LA Kings to win in seven games, um, the series ended up going seven games, but obviously they did not end up winning that uh, series in seven. Um, but the fact that I picked seven games and it actually happened is no surprise to me. I really think that a lot of um, people similarly, but not so much uh, to the Capitals Florida series, were looking at that series and going, ah, four games, ah, five games, ah, three if they, you know, yeah, everybody always sees those memes, you know, Oilers and three because they're that dominant of a team. But I, I knew going into the series, this was not going to be a quick one. Um, you know, the Kings are on the right track. If they can just get a goaltender, because, um, you know, that they did that with a Jonathan Quick, who's what, 37 years old now, Jonathan Quick, you know, and they were able yeah. to, to bring um, – the Oilers to seven games. And, you know, my point with, uh, um, my point with, with the capitals that I'm going to make here with, with the Oilers or with the uh, Kings is they do not have the scoring that Florida did comparatively. I just, I just hold up their team scoring and I'm looking at it now and I would agree. You know, they they have have some scoring diversity, but the, Depth of it is just not enough, right? Yeah. They got two Dano and Grundstrom at three goals apiece, and everybody else is either one, two, and it's mostly zeros. And ultimately, yeah. I would agree, dude. I, it's the scoring depth. And what is it? I mean, nine times out of ten, it's going to come down to that. If it's not the goaltending, if it's not the defense, it's more than likely your score depth or your scoring depth, rather. Yeah. Yeah. Score, um, scoring and goalie. And <laughs> the fact that they were able to go seven games against Connor McDavid, 
Emilian Dreisaitl. It's impressive. Actually, so I'm sorry. I have a new um, name for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, remember in our view of, or our weekly supplement episode of the Edmonton Oilers, we called them the Mc, uh, Dreisaitls. Yeah. Well, I got a new name <laughs> for you guys. They're no longer yeah, the McDrysaitles. They are the McDrysaitle Canes. <laughs> Cane They're the McDrysaitle Cane. Because now, you know, the 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 load for uh, McDavid and Drysaitel isn't as heavy when they got uh, the playoff goal leader in Kane. Um, the dude has, I think, twelve or thirteen two goals, two uh, hat two hat tricks, which is nuts. Um, this Oilers team is comparable, and you know, Oilers fans are going to love hearing this. They are very comparable to the late '80s Edmonton Oilers that you guessed it went what back to back to back four for five. Four for five, yeah. It was back-to-back, then they lost in the finals, uh, and then they went back-to-back again. So they were in five straight and won four of them. Yeah. Um, You know, they're throwing stats out there that, you know, McDavid's goals a game um, are comparable to Gretzky's in 1986. And Evander Kane scored two hat-tricks. The only other players to do that in Edmonton Oilers playoff history were, you guessed it, uh, Wayne Gretzky and I think Curry. Um, Curry, I think, is in there, and maybe Mark Messier. Regardless, those guys all played for Edmonton Oilers in that late um, dynasty that they had um, in the '80s. So, I mean, shit, you know, those comparables looking good for you, Edmonton Oilers fans, because they won the cups in those years, and <laughs> you might be on your way to win a cup here. But uh, you know, back to my point with. McDavid and Dreisaitl, you know, the, the Kings didn't have that type of scoring. They they don't have a, a McDavid and Dreisaitl combination. But the fact that they were able to force game seven and go seven games against an Edmonton Oilers team that's as dominant as, or the players are just as dominant as, uh, you know, Gretzky was and, and Messier were in those 80s teams, that is impressive, you know, and kudos to the Kings. Um they deserve it. Like you said earlier, they were called an AHL team by fans. Um, a lot I have no idea why. Yeah. You know, what, what does that say then about the Edmonton Oilers? You know, if you win seven games with an AHL team, that's not looking too good if you're going to make that comparison. If anything, that it makes was a the Edmonton Oilers. Right. It was a com- very competitive seven-game series. It wasn't like the Carolina series where, yeah, it yeah. was seven games, but all seven games were pretty handily won by one team. You know? Mm-hmm. And I and I actually do have to make a correction. I, I said that they lost. They went to five straight. I always forget this. They lost in the first round in that middle playoff. So they went back to back, first round exit by LA, um, and then back to back right after that. Yeah, and I um, gosh, I could be wrong. But 1989, I think they were kicked out by Calgary. I don't no, know if it was the it was second. LA. You sure? I have it in front of me. Yeah, I, I, you I do? pulled okay, it up because okay. I wanted to double check what I said. 1989, first round exit, seven game series against LA, ironically. Oh, wow. So they won the, wow. Okay, so 1990 and 1991. And then 87 back back. and 88. Yes, you got okay. it. Okay, okay. Um, okay, my bet, because I thought in 91 and 92, the Pittsburgh Penguins oh, had their back-to-back. Yeah, so it was no. 
It was only three then. I always think it's four. It was three of four. So back to back, first round exit, and then a and then another championship in the ninety. Okay. All right. Because the ninety one was Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say because I'm pretty sure Pittsburgh went back to back ninety one to ninety two. That's the infamous um, Yager and oh man, who was it? Lemieux. Lemieux. Yes, thank you. With their backs after they won their second cup, they were back to back to the Stanley Cup. The mullet. (laughs) Yes, with the mullets, the very infamous picture of them. Um, but yeah, you know, this team is very comparable to that, um, to those Edmonton Oilers teams, uh, which is just insane, especially in this day and age, you know, back then goaltenders were, you know, they were standing up. Yeah. They were standing up. You you could have thrown a a janitor on the ice and he'd probably be just (laughs) as good as Vasilevsky is now, you know, like, Hey, um, I know you're, you're like their e-bugs back then probably would have performed just as well as, you know, your average goaltender nowadays. <laughs> uh, or I should say, e- I meant to say e-bugs nowadays could have performed just as good as, you know, goaltenders back then could. I figured that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's just, it's not too much of a surprise to me. I really like the fight that uh, the Kings put up. I thought that they were going to win in six games. I don't think they had a 3-2 series lead. I could be wrong, um, but I, I felt as though they had a 3-2 series lead um, going into game six, and I was really confident that they they were going to win that game. Um, but, you know, it didn't end up. Actually, yeah, they did. They won game five, and wow. they were – that was actually the infamous um, – who scored that? Was it Kemp, Kempney? Kempe. Yeah, Kempe. It was Kempe. And what was his celebration? Oh, my gosh. Did he – Oh, that's right. He put his hand up towards the uh, Edmonton crowd to, you know, obviously he scores the overtime winner and uh, he's like, you know, I don't hear you anymore. Or what happened to that? Cause that's yeah. when the Oilers mounted a comeback and that crowd was wild. They were going crazy. And then they scored within, I think they scored Silence. two or yeah. three minutes within into that overtime period. It was a quick overtime. And then he, he quickly does the, uh, um, that, you know, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. <laughs> and then what else happens in game six? Um, uh, Kane scores, I think, an empty net goal to make it 4-2. And I can't remember his celebration, but it was a mockery. Of, he, oh, he put up seven. He put up yes. seven. Yeah. With okay, both that's hands, what it he, was. Tucked his, he tucked his stick in to do it, too. <laughs> you know what? I am going to say this now. and. Um, you know, it's going to be a very controversial topic, I, you know, especially with the way that things have played out in the past. But I love Kane. I love Evander Kane. I do, too. I have 180 on the guy, um, you know, when everything was coming out with him betting and with him and his personal life with his uh, with his wife and the divorce. You know, we were seeing a lot of just off the ice, bad behavior. That you, you never yeah. want to see um, and you never want to know about, you know some things are best kept private. I kind of wish that stuff was kept private. You know, he's dealing with that personally. Um, you know, I don't need to know about his personal life all that much, but it got out. We learned about it. And, you know, it, I think it, it changed people's opinions. Changes the the yeah. Um, but we mentioned it in the Oilers uh, weekly supplement that we did. Um, we said, you know what? 
this is this is going to be a season for Kane to prove himself. We even said, and I can't remember who said it, but I, I, I know somebody said that if they make the playoffs and he performs in the playoffs, um, not only is that going to get him back into the NHL, but all 32 teams are going to be dialing up the Edmonton Oilers. They're going to call themselves. They're going to be like, hey, is he available? Yeah, he's still available. All right, at what price? You know, because he has just been playing at insane rate. Um, you know, I give Ken Holland a lot of credit um, for giving him a contract. And, you know, like we're mentioning about coaches with their goaltenders, Ken Holland had the same amount of confidence that he had in Kane that Gerard Gallant had with Shesterkin um, and that um, Dean should have had with uh, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. He, they they had, uh, you know, Gerard Gallant and, and uh, Kevin Holland or Ken Holland both had the confidence in their players and man, has it paid off for the two of them. Um, the Oilers are, are in a commanding position against uh, Calgary to possibly make it to the wild card or the Western conference. And if it's, if, if Kane's not on that team, it's, I don't know if they're in that position. I really I don't. Agree. He, he is going to make that stout. final, that conference final really exciting. This yes. is going to, if, if it, if it goes the way it's going, this is going to be an awesome Western conference final. I agree. I absolutely agree. And, you know, as much as I was on Calgary's bandwagon, um, I'm definitely hopping off that bandwagon. Um, eating your own words. I am eating my own words. Yeah. I, it was tough. You know, it's tough. Um, he has I been really ridiculing McDavid in our group yes. chat. For those yeah. who don't know. I, not going to lie. I had a very, I'll be honest with all of you. I'm very bipolar against McDavid. Um, I do think that uh, Ryan's point that he made about, you're hating him for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I took a day to really think about that, and he's absolutely right. Um, what Ryan was mentioning was, I hated McDavid because of the of the coverage he got. I hated it because I'm just like, he's done the same thing for the last five years, and every year we're like, oh my God, McDavid, he's so great. Um, but, you know, it took away from a lot of the achievements that um, Matthews and Goudreau had. Again, two American-born players, so you know I got to shout them out. Um, Matthew scored 60 in a season, and he also scored 50 and 50 games, which, I mean, I don't know the last time 50 and 50 games was done, but, you know, big-name players. Probably Gretzky. I was going to say, it's either Gretzky, Brent Hull, Brett Hull, um, or Brent Hull or Brett Hull, one of those guys. Um Maybe Yager, or not Yager, maybe um, Lemieux, you know, one of those guys. It's They're big names. They're well-known legends in, in hockey. And the fact that he was able to do 50 and 50 in this day and age is crazy. Uh, but it didn't get any talk. It hardly got any coverage. Why? Because Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid and does Connor McDavid things. Um, and that's that's what kind of upsets me is, you know, that sentence had that's Connor true. McDavid in it three times. And, yeah, you know, it's it's. It's it's getting frustrating to me because I want to see him not only perform in the uh, in the uh, regular season but also in the postseason, and he hasn't had postseason success. Now again, neither has Goudreau or Matthews, but you know I just feel like the spotlight is always on him no matter what other people do. And when I took a day, and that's go for it. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, and and that's just like for people who still are having a hard time. Like compress or not compressing that, but 
consuming that with the, the reflection that Nick just did on on that one player that he had a hard time with but people who are still struggling with that because all you see is McDavid all you see is McDavid don't forget that the NHL is a struggling sports market and they need to start appealing to more and more people and the things that Connor McDavid does are clearly impressive even if you don't even if you've never seen hockey i think if you watch mcdavid clips independently from from other you know other guys and stuff like that you you will see a difference even if you even if it's the first time you're watching hockey you'll see a difference in that guy compared to the rest of the pack and so they do need to hype that guy up they do need to plug him a decent amount because they do need that notoriety across, you know, across a, a struggling market, a, a struggling uh, sports franchise market. That's why, um, you know, there are basketball players who are getting paid half of one guy in basketball who can get paid half of an NHL salary cap for an entire team. Um, it's because the popularity isn't there. And if the, if the sport is going to continue to thrive and continue to um build upon itself they do need that market to grow and mcdavid is the guy who could do that you know but yeah. anyways and go ahead and no you're absolutely right um i took a day off i kind of reflected on it and i said you know i came back to them and i said i'm just bipolar with the guy because you know it's it's the coverage that he gets and like you said it's a struggling market so anytime he is popping off they're going to go to him because it'll give them clicks. It'll give them revenue. It's going to give them everything. ESPN top 10. Um, it'll give oh, them yeah, visibility. Yeah. Which which is great, know? by the way, that you mentioned that, Ann, because lo and behold, it's the first um, uh, season where ESPN yeah. has the broadcasting yeah. rights to the NHL. So, no, absolutely fair point right there. Uh, and I, I think that that's why I had sort of a breaking point with McDavid this season is sure. I understand he is he – is, phenomenal and he is he is Connor mcdavid he is not wayne gretzky he is not Sidney crosby he is not alexander he is Connor mcdavid and you know he's a setting stone for future players of this generation to be compared to he's inspiring kids um, today yeah yeah and again i i know i said in the past that i would you know i know that the debate is Sidney crosby versus Connor mcdavid um, and I've, I've mentioned that I would pick, I would still pick Sidney Crosby. I still feel that way this, to this day. Um, obviously I think it's sort of unfair because Crosby has such an age gap between Connor McDavid. If they were both the end, roughly yeah. the same age, you know, it would make more of an interesting debate. Um, there's obviously recency bias too. When the age gap is that wide, recency bias is going to play a factor, but you know, regardless of that, um, you know, I, I felt like I heard but, about it even more. But look more to this him season. and Matthews for the same sort of drama, for the same right. sort of storyline. You know, they, yeah. there's always going to be a second generational guy who's right there in stride. I mean, even even though McDavid is is as far ahead of every other player as we all know, um, Matthews is still giving him run a run for his money. So there's there's definitely still that Dave, not David and Goliath, but sort of King Kong and Godzilla storyline yeah. there you know yeah um but um yeah it 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 feels good to kind of express how i was feeling about Connor mcdavid because i i was holding that in i'm glad for a while now 
Um, I'm glad, I, dude. It's I, cool. I literally let that out. What was it yesterday or two days ago? Two days ago. I yeah, I was gonna yeah. say I let it all out in the group chat, and I was getting fried, and I just <laughs> kept going. I kept going, and again, it it. Um, I, I I credit Ryan a lot because he's the one who who said you're getting mad at yeah. him for the wrong reasons. Don't be mad he's at him. Right. Be mad at the coverage that he's. Um, be mad at the people who are covering the media. Right. They have they have storylines. Like I said, they had Matthews. They had uh, Goudreau because, um, you know, the storyline I didn't mention with Goudreau is, uh, you know, how many years has he been on the trade block for for Calgary? Oh, Goudreau is his time in Calgary is up. Oh, he's not performing. Calgary wants to move him. Oh, what would a deal with uh, what would a deal with Johnny Goudreau look like if you're the Flames? Um, and what does he do? He shuts all that up and puts up 115 points to tie second place in scoring with. Uh, Jonathan Huberto, the only other better player was um, Connor McDavid. And again, it, it got, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this might be the first time anybody's hearing this uh, on the podcast, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was because people were so focused on McDavid that those storylines never got mentioned. Um, and, and that was the point I was trying to make in the group chat, but you know, okay. I eventually just got too worked up emotional, <laughs> Yeah, but I, especially well, with Johnny, Johnny Goudreau. That's mature of you, man, to look look back on that and kind of come around. But yeah. But anyways, hey, Colorado is uh, about to face off here. So. Yeah. No, we'll we'll definitely wrap it up here. Um, I know I was gonna save some time for the <laughs> the officiating, but you know, I think that uh, we may that have can be, it up We here. can talk about that at the end of this at the end of the playoffs. I think we need yeah, to see that holistically. Yeah. Yeah, that that is fair. But um, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, lately, we've been getting, uh, you know, I was checking um, the other day, uh, a friend reached out to me from Cortland and he's like, hey, man, I'm listening to your podcast. And I'm like, hey, thanks for listening. And it got me curious. I'm like, oh, man, you know, if he's listening to it, it's going to I want to see how many people listen to it. Um, the last time I checked the Edmonton Oilers episode, it had roughly, I think, eight or nine plays. And when I opened up the app to check to see how many plays that got it shot up to 24 and i had never seen anything like that so i'm like holy crap i texted andy i'm like dude you know we just tripled our numbers and then i looked back at previous episodes and every single episode dating back um i'd say four episodes back so including the edmonton one four episodes back the supplements, and then I think it was a season review or preview. Um, I forget which. I think it was a season uh, preview. You know, those got 20-plus plays, and those are episodes that are really old. Um, I think I it, it had to have been some of my friends that found out I had a podcast. I told them about it, and they started giving episodes a listen. Um, if you are one of those people, I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, like I said, I've out. had I've had a lot of friends reach out to me and say, you know, I listen to your podcast when I'm, you know, cleaning up the house or I listen to your podcast when I'm just doing when I have downtime. And it's a lot of people who aren't necessarily familiar with hockey or they're not, you know, they're they're interested in hockey, but they don't know a lot about it. Um, I'm glad that you're coming here to, you know, consume, consume, content. You know, yeah, and, and sort of learn the game and understand um, 
the game as it is. And I think it's a good time to do so, especially with the playoffs. Um, you know, Andy and I have a lot of knowledge as far as, you know, like the officiating, for example, in the playoffs and how that's supposed to differ from the regular season. Um, we talked about momentum. We talked about goaltending and how big that is in the postseason. Confidence in your goalies. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Scoring, players, secondary really. scoring. You know, we, we mentioned a lot of things that I think, you know, for a new um, a newcomer to hockey, it's easy to understand. It's easy to pick up and we can guide you along to sort of start becoming a little bit more, you know, in depth and being able to, to watch a game and understand fully what's happening. Um, you know, except goaltender interference. If you want to come here and you want to understand what goaltender interference is, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I know Andy can't do that. Hell, the NHL can't can. do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's the NHL can't. Um, there were times where I was watching games in Cortland with friends and, you know, you'd hear that, uh, that goaltender interference was being called and they're like, Oh, Nick, you know, well, do you think that was goaltender interference? I'm like, eh, my brother said it best. Flip a coin, heads or tails, heads is goaltender interference, tails isn't see what happens. Cause there's been so many inconsistencies with that, that there's no way Andy and I could sort of explain it, um, to you to make it easy. But uh, yeah, without without going further into uh, anything else, I really appreciate anybody else who's new, uh, who's Me coming too. here to sort of learn it. Um, it's a really cool feeling. And it's, and it's really, you know, we don't do the like and subscribe nonsense. We kind of do that in satire. And, and the viewership is really what makes it. It's been cool. I mean, we didn't do yeah. this for viewership, but to have it is really awesome. Yeah. And it's it's growing exponentially, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want that to keep happening. Um, I'll, I'll continue. Anybody who's interested, um, I will continue to tell you, you know, an episode came out if you want to listen to it. Um, I know that we've been you know, a little inconsistent with posting, but you can definitely rely on us uh, in the playoffs to do series and uh, not series reviews, round reviews uh, like we did today. So when the second round ends, we'll definitely be more on time with that. Um, so far, some of these series looks like they're going to end early. Uh, the only one that could continue on is um, the Carolina Rangers series. Uh, that's currently tied at 2-2, whereas the Calgary one is 3-1, and the Colorado one is at 3-1, and then obviously Tampa won in the sweep. So, you know, depending on how quick the Rangers can end their series, as well as the Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche, we can probably provide those episodes for you um, sometime around uh, Sunday if things pan out the way Before that they the do. Before the third round, right. yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, we really, really appreciate the viewership. Uh, we hope it continues. I will definitely let uh, my friends at Cortland know that a new episode's out and to listen on your own time. There's no rush to it. Um, but, you know, if the viewership continues the way it's going, you know, I'm – really 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 appreciative of it and i will uh it'll, it'll it means a lot i think to the both of us so we really do appreciate it that's uh you know without further ado um enjoy the playoffs as always um enjoy the remaining series the blues game is currently on right now um so without further ado you know take care and peace out peace out <laughs>